Welcome to Earth2.net, the show, episode 1144. that you're about to listen to was recorded and edited before the recent news with everything going on with um, Melissa Barrera and Jenna Ortega, so keep that in mind as you're listening. Thank you, and enjoy the episode. joined by Skylar Queen. How are you doing today, Skylar? I'm all right. How are you, Will? I have a vacation coming up, so I'm happy. And by vacation, Yay! I mean I'm literally just going to stay home and do nothing but watch. I mean, that is indeed a vacation in some ways. Uh, there are some times where vacations can be uh, things that you need vacations from afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. But yeah, um, before, you know, as is customary, before we get into talking about Scream, the Toronto International Film Festival has <laughs> happened, so have you, did you get to watch anything interesting this time around? Uh, I mean, well, I, I've, I saw four new films. Uh, there were also some uh, old films that I saw in the park. Uh, as well, but um, this year I saw a film um, about Mr. Dressup, which was a documentary. Mr. Dressup was sort of, um, even though he was American-born, he was considered sort of the um, the Canadian uh, Mr. Rogers um, because Fred and Ernie Coombs, who uh, was Mr. Dressup. Uh, 
first came to Canada uh, in the 50s when the CBC had more money for uh, the ability to actually produce the show. So they came up together, um, did the show, and um, when the contract was up, uh, Fred wanted to move back to the States, and everyone was just like, oh, well, Fred, what would we do without you? And then Fred was just like, well, why don't you make a program about Ernie? And after about 35 years, Ernie retired <laughs> because that is exactly what they did. And it was a, it was a wonderful documentary. It was, um, very heartfelt. Um, the, the fellow who played the dad on Kim's Convenience, who's also that one X-Wing pilot in all those Disney Plus shows, um, he was crying in his interview and they had, um, um, Michael J. Fox do a um, interview and it was very interesting. Uh, it was the same director who had done this movie called uh, Nintendo Quest, which was his first documentary uh, about how he, the, the director, was trying to um, collect all of the uh, different Nintendo games for like the original NES uh, without the use of uh, eBay. Um so that that was fun. Uh, I also saw uh, a film that was uh, based on a uh, a graphic novel that had no words uh, called Robot Dreams, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, I saw Dick's The Musical, uh, which is very silly. Um, probably uh, every bit of it as offensive as you would think it could possibly be. Uh, which I think is part of the point. Um, and uh, I saw American Fiction, the new film with Jeffrey Wright, uh, which I enjoyed as well. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a good time. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing Dicks. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I only uh, partially... I realized what I said after I said it. Uh, yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything about that. I can't remember if I saw Mr. Dress Up because it it was airing on American television, or if because we got Canadian channels occasionally growing up, like just randomly oh. sometimes a Canadian channel would end up coming through because we, um, where I grew up, it was probably like. We were right on one side of Lake Erie. Oh, I see. So occasionally, I think we would get programming from London, I want to say it was. Hmm, that makes sense. Yeah. Don't know. Uh, it was either Robot Dreams or the Mr. Rissa Doc that were my favorite of the of the four. Uh, I liked the other two, but um, I don't know. I, the, the other, uh, Mr. Dress Up, uh, The Magic Make-Believe, I believe it was fully titled uh and robot dreams were just terrific okay then so um as per every year we are talking about this sh about the latest scream film which in this case is scream 6 so i mean this one came out like i mean before that i guess there is also a little bit of actual like there's technically a little bit of news as far as like scream 7 goes in that, you know, it actually, it got greenlit, like, almost right away, because this one did 
bonkers at the box office. Yes. Well, and that's possibly per, uh, due to myself. <laughs> yeah. How many times did you see it in the theater, Skylar? Nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I only saw it the once. I meant to see it a second time, but I was just kind of like, I never had time. Fair. Well, I'd, I'd like I'd like to see it more times. I'm sure there will be a rep screening one uh, one day to bring me up to at least ten. But uh, yes, not nine times. Oh, I am like super disappointed by the way because last few Scream One and Scream Two, but last couple years end up getting re getting re released um in the theaters by Fathom Events, hmm. and I was hoping they would do it for Scream Three this year, but they didn't. Mm. Well, that, that one I I saw in theaters with uh, the drunken um, like drinking game sort of um, uh, repertory screenings that were happening um, around town here. So I, I've got that one checked off. I've actually seen all of them in theaters by this point. And as much as you know, I'm it's it's grow it grows on me every time I watch it, but. While three is still like not my favorite in the series, the completionist in me needs to see it in theater because it's like my last one standing between me being able to say the same thing. Right, right. Side note: Speaking of three, um, another tangent. Did you hear about the um work print of three? I mean, I I I saw things about it. Yeah, I heard about it. I may or may not have acquired a copy, and I just hadn't had the time or effort to may or may not have watched it. I did not uh, see the the thing. Um, I saw rundowns of some scenes. I may or may not have seen some scenes. But for the most part, it was just sort of like, meh. Not much of it really seemed to be of interest. Like, a lot of it was changed for good reason. Yeah. And, like, I've had so many people, like, uh, that I saw on Twitter around when it came out saying, oh, this changes everything. And so, like, and then I read that the synopsis and everything. I'm like, does it, though? Not particularly, no. So, um, I know this one's coming out a little late, but, um, yeah, so pretty much we are, we're, um, at this point, I mean, the only thing we really know about Scream 7 is that Radio Silence are not directing it this time, and instead it's, um, Christopher Landon who has directed, you know, a lot of really fun films the last few years, namely, um, Freaky and Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You. I like two of those movies. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I like. I, I definitely do remember liking two of them, and I, and I have good feelings about the third one. Well, uh, I, I have you not seen the third uh, Happy Death Day or uh, the second Happy Death Day? I have. Oh, it's not. <sighs> so wait a second. Which one have you not seen then? I've the seen three? all three of them. Oh, okay. I thought that you had said I have uh, I have liked two of them and then uh, have good I feelings have mixed, about a third. I have good feelings about the third, 
But I wouldn't necessarily take them as far as to say this is a great... It went turned out as well as it could have. Which one is that one? Happy Death Day to You. Oh, I see. So yes, yeah, so I don't I don't care for that film. I, I like the first one and I like Freaky, but I didn't like the the second one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I'm kinda disappointed that, you know, this probably puts Happy Death Day to us like further back, but yeah. Well, <laughs> that was the thing. Like I, I was such a big fan of the first one that I'm just uh, and was so down on the second that I was just sort of like I rather they not do the third one now but i mean i i do like a lot of christopher landon's uh films i was not uh that far down on uh scout's guide to the zombie apocalypse which a lot of people really hated uh i mean i haven't seen it since it came out so i i don't know how i feel about it now necessarily but uh i i've liked a lot of his work i i've enjoyed most, if not all, of the paranormal activities he was involved in, uh, he's involved in most of them. See, um, I was not a fan of the first paranormal activity, so I haven't watched any of the sequels, but you're saying that, I might actually go ahead and try and watch two this year. So, I... I was... I'm not sure how I saw... If I said, okay, so the first one I saw at a friend's house in college, and there were a bunch of us there, and it was sort of like, there wasn't that much that I could really glean from it. And it's like, oh, I understand what they're doing. It wasn't like an amazing sort of thing, but I like, I enjoyed it well enough. Same sort of thing with the second one, which I watched, uh, I believe, um, on Netflix with a friend's account, like when we were living together at the time. Um, the third one and fourth one I went to see um, in pre-screenings. Uh, the third one was interesting because they were giving out like free popcorn, free soda, free t-shirts. When the second or when the fourth one came out, they gave us a sticker. <laughs> so it was like oh the budget has changed um the the fifth one i missed in theaters but i uh i saw on netflix at the time again uh with a um roommate's account and i really liked that one and that's the one he actually directed i think yeah uh the marked ones yeah yeah, that that one was initially not supposed to be like part of the main series. It was supposed to like be sort of its own spin-off, but like that has kind of been retconned. Um then the sixth one I saw in theaters, that one's not very good. It's fine, but whatever. Uh and then the seventh one um was in the US it was direct to Paramount Plus. In Canada it wasn't on Paramount Plus uh, at launch. It might be now, uh, but uh, at the at the time, it was direct to Prime, and uh, that one I liked a lot more than a lot of people did. Uh, but it was not one of my favorites either. It's also weird to have a Paranormal Activity movie uh, taking place during COVID. Yeah, and I mean, 
that, yeah, that definitely is a little bit of interest. I like, you know, the last, the few movies I've watched that, you know, have taken place, like, during the pandemic. So, I mean, I'll, I'll probably check that one out if I like, <laughs> I like watching I mean, other ones first, I there, guess. <laughs> there are good, good pandemic movies and bad pandemic movies. Not everything is going to be a host. I mean, I, I, I love Host, by the way. Yeah, Host was good. Um, the two I'm thinking of were Kimmy, the Steven oh, Soderbergh right, right. movie, and um, Sick. Oh, yes. Sick is great, yeah. Which is now available on digital and DVD. No Blu-ray, sadly, but there it is available. And physical release for anything is good. I am going to be... I'm going to be hoping and praying for a actual physical release of freaking a freaking glass onion for probably a while. I know. I mean, that feels like it would be a criterion if they didn't have the third movie eventually coming. Yeah. Like, I don't know what the plan for Netflix is with that, but like, it, it annoys me that it hasn't come out yet physically because I also, I don't like Netflix as a company. <laughs> Why would anyone like that? Netflix as well, a company is kind of terrible. Yes. Uh, so I don't wish to like pay them every time I want to see that one good film. Um, there are several films or TV shows that I have not seen because I do not want to pay them for those other things. Now, I I will say I've seen Netflix things at film festivals before, so I have technically given them money in that way before. However, it it's, it feels different. <laughs> it's not, of course, but it, it feels it in a way. And particularly because I'm putting my money towards a theatrical experience um, rather than you know, the death of film and television <laughs> as we know it. Now, I say that as well, but of course, I also have had uh, Disney Plus, which I have paid for. I've paid for Prime before. I've paid for Shudder. All of those, but Netflix is... It's a whole different kettle of fish, even though it's not, you know? <laughs> Anyway, now back to the uh, the um, paranormal activity just for a, a moment there since uh, we were on it for a moment. Uh, let me say before you do see them, I think my favorite ones are the marked ones and number three. So if, if you watch any other paranormal activities, try three and marked ones. Back to um, Scream Six, though. I mean, like this one, it's uh, it takes off a lot of boxes that we had for the series. It's the highest-grossing one in theaters, as we discussed. It is the longest in the series by a couple minutes, and I think it's like the first one that um, Kevin Williamson had no actual like part in. Well, he is a producer on this one as well. Okay, I didn't see him in the produ in the producer credits. So uh, I mean, I may it, just miss uh, that. It may be, like, to a certain, like, in-name-only sort of style. Like, I don't know how much he did do, but he is a producer on this one. Uh, I know for Seven, I don't know if he's necessarily a producer on Seven or not, but he uh, is 
supposedly the reason why Christopher Landon got the job, basically that when Paramount wanted um, a new one real, real fast and Radio Silence was going to do something else first uh, and they were going to move on without them, uh, um, Kevin Williamson was apparently a friend of Christopher Landon, suggested Christopher Landon could be a pretty good replacement. And obviously they eventually ended up going on to do it. And I think like, it, I know they, they hinted at what they're doing and something involving universal monsters because they, they're going back to that now. I think if memory serves me correctly. I, I didn't know necessarily. Is this the same thing that uh, Melissa Barrera is going to do with them? I know I've seen it hinted at, but okay. like, like if, yeah, it's like just, Untitled Universal Monsters film is what's listed as in... Yeah, it is. She's part of it as well. Oh, interesting. Van Helsing 2! Yeah, and it's apparently scheduled for release in April 19, 2024. I doubt it, but... I thought you said April 1924. It was like, well, they've missed that release date. No, April 19, 2024. I, I misheard it, so I thought you said 1924. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's also a pretty amazing cast. I mean, Melissa Barrera, um, Dan Stevens. Oh, that fella from the uh, uh, the Hulu show with the aliens. I mean, I, I remember him from <laughs> The Guest, but yeah. Well, yes, I, I've never seen that Hulu show with the aliens. I, I was just recalling that that was in the news at one point. Um, Giancarlo Esposito. I like him. I, I mean, for me, he's always going to be the magic mirror on Once Upon a Time, but, you know, oh. he, he has a great career outside of that. You know, I saw about the half of the first season of that, and I, I've got that on DVD but I never got around to finishing it. Yeah, even that first season. Should I? Once Upon a Time is a very <laughs> um, complicated show to recommend. It's like another show that I we don't talk about when we broadcast together. Oh, uh, wait, that... What show might that be, Will? What show might that be? Yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean... A lot of it's it's a show that stumbles over its own continuity half the time. But oh, I mean, if you really if you get invested in it and you watch it, not so much as it's about all these other characters as it's about the um it's about the evil queen. It goes so much better. Oh, interesting. But yeah, I mean, Scream Six is definitely like a different film for them and everything and if this is, ends up being their last one they do for the series, then, you know, they went out on a good one, not to, you know, give too many of my notes before we actually watch it. I saw it the one so, time in the theaters, you saw it the nine times in the theaters. Yes. Um, it, they didn't go into the the way of, uh, say, uh, a Rick Rosenthal uh, with uh, Halloween Resurrection. Because people like Halloween, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't mind. I mean, 
it's not it's far from the worst Halloween film. <laughs> well, I mean, there's the Rob Zombie ones for starters. Yes, yes. I would say those are the worst ones. Yes. <laughs> You got a problem here, guy? secret. There's a darkness inside of me. It followed me here. And it's gonna keep coming for us. We share a certain history. This isn't like any other ghost face. What is this place? A shrine. We've got to lure him in. We execute him. Hello? Let's play a game. You know you're like the tenth guy to try this, right? It never works out for the dipshit in the mask. Maybe. But there's never been one like me, Gail. <laughs> I'm something... different. That's why I'm gonna shoot you in the head. You want me. So let's finish this. Guys? on a bar where Professor Laura Crane, who um played by um the babysitter Samara Weaving, who is enjoying a drink and waiting for her blind date. She finds out he's lost. Surprisingly, it's not the ghost of Ghostface, the voice of Ghostface, when she answers the phone. She they talk, she teaches slasher films at a college in the area. He's she goes outside to try and find him, only to end up in an alley, and then it turns out he is actually Ghostface. And he jumps out and stabs her a whole bunch. Kill count one, and as we're waiting for a title card, none comes. Instead, Ghostface takes off his mask, and Jason, who is played by, by Tony Revol... I cannot pronounce his name. Tony Revol... I don't know how to pronounce his name either. It's Flash Thompson, okay, people? He's also in Willow. Once again, <laughs> I've been doing this. I've been making running gags about casting for, like, six movies. You can... I'm not always... It's not always going to go well, okay? Anyway, um, 
He takes the costume off and starts to head home. There's lots of things to talk about here already. Yeah. Um, so uh, first, um, Laura's um, phone has a picture of who uh, she thinks Reggie, which is the fake name uh, that Jason used to kind of trap her uh, on the dating apps was. Um, the the photo was Samara's real life husband, uh, Jimmy Warden, who was the writer of Cocaine Bear. Oh, nice. Yes. Um, the uh, the the phrase that um has been kind of ringing in my head since March though uh, is a voice for the voiceless. You might say I don't know why, but constantly that fr- <laughs> that phrase, just Samara saying that, has just been playing over and over in my head oh so many times, and I I don't dislike it. It's just, it, it's there. And it, I feel like it'll always be there. So, Samara's in the film for like four minutes. And I will honestly say, of all of her like opening victims, like she is just, she is just effortlessly charming for those four minutes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it, I do have a note here. She's dead about six minutes in. Okay. Uh, she's, She's the fastest opening kill we have if we do not count the screen four uh, fake outs. Um, because, yeah, uh, it says here, yes, uh, Steve was around seven minutes, uh, Phil around eight, Christine around eight. And, uh, you know, give or take uh, some time for like um, production logos and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, she is just so. Yeah, absolutely, as you said, effortlessly charming, and apparently they were trying to do it a few different ways, and they said, okay, well, should she be an American? Should she just naturally do her um, Australian accent? Um, and that was what they ended up doing. Uh, apparently, Samara was saying that like Laura feels like the most like her, and if that is the case. It's like, yeah, I feel like I like Samara. Like, I, seems like the kind of person you'd want to have a drink with. Like, she's just so nervous and awkward, and it's like, I, 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 I feel that. Well, yes, and that, that as well. Now, that apparently wasn't even necessarily scripted. Like the whole like, uh, her saying Jesus uh, about kind of like the why would I say that of it. Mm-hmm. That was not in the script. That was all her. What's your favorite scary movie? Not that one. Not that one. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, so uh, the the other thing I have here um, is that the name of the restaurant is uh, Hasta La Fuego, mm-hmm. which apparently is a reference to Bad Boys for Life, the third Bad Boys film. Sure. <laughs> which uh, apparently that is a phrase in that film, which I've not seen, but at the beginning of the pandemic, because radio silence wanted to like still talk about movies with a kind of a group text that became the title of the group text. So that became the title of the, uh, of the restaurant just as a reference to their own group text. You know what? I mean, you have a running gag. 
you make it work, I guess. There's another one like that, actually, a little little later down on the page, but we'll get to that. Yeah, and I mean, so when Samara Weaving's, like, casting got announced, I think everyone agrees, that everyone has to agree, they only, there, there was only two ways this could go. She was either going to be, like, the initial kill, or she was going to be the killer, and there's no way it could have been either one. I think we all knew she was going to be the opening kill, but I didn't want her to be. Um, I certainly didn't know that Tony was going to be, um, like, the one to do it. Uh, I I really thought that, like, if he were in the, uh, the opening scene as well, which most people assumed that he was going to be in the opening scene because he was also the last person cast um both publicly and apparently in um in real life <laughs> as well but um uh yeah the the first half of this opening scene is uh like it's charming it's tense it's shocking with that reveal as well it's it's terrific yeah because it does what you expect in a screen film like it is working that way where you're just like okay, they, they must really need to pack stuff in for us to already be at the... Why, why aren't the credits starting? Why aren't we getting right. the title card? Oh! Well, the, why the are you gasps, taking your mask off? Yeah, the gasps when people take... Uh, when Tony takes off uh, the mask, or Jason, I suppose, uh, takes off the mask for the first time in theaters is just... It was amazing every time I saw it. Yeah, like, I was just absolutely shocked, and I'm like, what are they doing? <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, it, it's, I, I enjoy that it's playing with our, it's playing with our expectations and just deciding, nope, throw those out, kid. Yep. Okay, so. Jason's path home takes him past Halloween celebrations because it is actually it is the end of October in the Halloween season, and he and he goes to Blackmore University in New York City. Among the celebrator celebrators that he passes by is his classmate Tara Carpenter, who is played by um, the star of Netflix's Wednesday, Jenna Ortega. They're going to meet at a par- at a party later. Jason gets home expecting to see um his roomie and co-conspirator Greg. Jason watched. Uh, sorry, I said boyfriend. Yeah, well, we're, we're, yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. But we'll talk. Um, okay. Jason washes up and gets a call from Greg, except it sounds like Ghostface. He says he's practicing because Jason was practicing. Jason talks about his earlier murder and goes into detail about how, you know, she, she didn't even feel human. They want to fit and they want to finish Richie's film. Greg tells Jason to find him by playing hot or cold. He gets to the fridge where he finds Greg's dismembered body, Kill Count 2, before Ghostface shows up with a very degraded mask on. He gets Jason, he guts Jason before saying, who gives a fuck about movies? Kill Count 3? Now we get the title card. Yeah. Uh, so actually, uh, this is the second um, um, kind of inside joke. Blackmore University. So 
when they were making the when they were casting for the fifth film uh they had all sorts of actresses do the uh the whole like confession to Tara scene um for like oh uh, I read mom's diary I thought it would be romantic all of that um but they they substituted in the name instead of Billy Loomis the name in the the sides that all these actresses would be crying about uh would be like saying my father was John Blackmore <laughs> And so after a while, it just became uh, an inside joke with them, which they even, like, laugh about in the commentary for the fifth movie. So in creating this new uh, new film, they couldn't think up a, a name for uh, the college that didn't sound like just super fake sort of thing that is supposed to represent NYU, but we cannot use the NYU name. Uh, so they've just said, eh, let's use this other thing that's also a reference to this thing that makes us chuckle. Once again, if you're committed to the running gag, nice. But yeah, uh, okay, we are in agreement that Jason and Greg are definitely dating. Or yeah. were dating. Well, <laughs> yes, it, it would be hard for them to afterwards. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. There are some people who were like fighting about that, but I don't know. Like, just the way that Tony plays Jason, like, feels very queer. And, like, uh, not even just like the Honey I'm Home thing, because, like, I mean, straight boys can say that sort of thing, but just like, specifically the. Why are you being like this? It feels very, it's like, oh. <laughs> it's like, that's, exactly. Like, the, these things are just like, they're very big flags of, like, that. that is your boyfriend you think you are talking to. Yeah. And there's the theatricality of just having, you know, the ghost face mask in the closet. I mean, fair. Yeah, no, um, no. Which, I mean, technically that makes, that gives us our first official queer ghost face if we count them, if we count him as a ghost face, because he did kill somebody in the costume. I don't count Greg. Some people do. Uh, I know that the guy who was like the body cast for Greg counts himself as a ghost face, or at least he did on Twitter in March. Uh, but uh, I, I count Jason. I, I wouldn't count Greg. Okay. That's a good compromise. Um, now, uh, th there is uh, some interesting things with their wall art in the in the apartment. Um, uh, they have a poster for Metropolis, uh, the Fritz Lang film. Um, I have a friend who has a a, um, a poster of Metropolis. Uh, I believe they are much more well adjusted. Uh, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> they, uh, Jason and Greg also have a poster for the re-release of Psycho that uh, touts that it has every scene that TV didn't and I, I really like that it's a great poster 
Um, there are a lot of posters actually in this film uh, relating to uh, podcasts that the filmmakers like. Uh, we Hate Movies comes up actually twice, uh, both in um, uh, Jason's bedroom and in Tara's bedroom, although you can't actually see it very well because the um, We Hate Movies poster in Tara's bedroom is out of focus. Um, well, there's kind of actually a good reason why. Um, this is the exact same set. Well, they yeah, moved around it's a, a couple it's walls. A, it's a different poster, though. Oh, okay. I, didn't, I would not have realized that. <laughs> the uh the poster that they use in um in Jason's bedroom could be Greg's I don't know um is digitally added after the fact because they had already shot uh the scene with Tara's bedroom and being out of focus the uh the filmmakers wanted to make sure that you could or at least that the people from that show could clearly see their shout out so they they had a different poster design so that if you did know you would be able to um, see see like oh it's this uh, one versus this one but the fact that it wouldn't be the same coincidence of it being also like the exact same poster they both seem to just enjoy that podcast um, there's also a, po- a poster for uh, last podcast on the left in uh, Jason Gregg's living room. Uh, I don't understand, though, why they have cameras in their living room. Is that an American thing? No, I mean, unless the plan was to eventually, like, lure um, Tara and, like, Tara and Sam back to the apartment to murder them there? Maybe. Because for like finishing the movie kind of thing. Yeah, maybe. Uh, listen, uh, we're gonna. I'll get into. We'll get into this as the film goes on. But that's a good thing that um and different Ghostface killed them because they would not. They would not have done a good job. <laughs> it's they, they wouldn't have lasted long. It would have been a much shorter film. Like literally, they would have gotten about halfway through like day two, and then it's just like. And then, like, Gail hits them with her car or something. (laughs) Scream 6 was only 15 minutes long. But, yeah, I enjoyed it, but it was short. Uh, um, I also question why Jason didn't try to clean off the blood on the mask. Like, I I guess, like, sure, if he's trying, if he really thinks he's going to be good about, like, gonna get away with it kind of thing but like you you think that you can just clean it off your hands real easy but you're gonna leave it just on your mannequin in your closet seems a bit odd yeah no 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 like that's just asking to get caught i mean just like you know taking the mask off while you're still in the alleyway where anyone if they were walking by could glance over and be like oh that Guy's wearing a go oh, that that guy has a knife and it's covered in blood. I'm gonna call the police. <laughs> well, I don't know where he could have put the knife down and been like, "Oh, this lady! I just found this lady." Yeah. It's Halloween. Lots of people wear ghost face masks. Yeah. I also find hilarious that the film he is watching is Jason Takes Manhattan. That that was something they found late. Uh, I don't know if they were necessarily trying to uh, 
to to find something earlier that they couldn't get the rights to or what but um they they were just like asking the paramount people what do you have the rights to do and this was in the uh the list and they were like yes please this one definitely yeah, um, i mean it's uh, it could i mean it's a good thing also you know says hey listen no matter how bad this film goes at least it isn't ghost face on a cruise ship <laughs> fair and then Ghostface gets defeated by the toxic waste in the sewers at midnight that one is also playing um, in town soon and is already sold out a month early. I wanted to um, mention here, um, Tony is great in this scene. Um, it's interesting to see him like play evil as opposed to, um, like, I mean, Flash Thompson's not evil. He's a douche, but he's not evil. Yeah. Um, and a lot of his characters in like, um, Grand Budapest Hotel and things, uh, of that nature are just like, just nice people. Uh, the fact that he can be charming, but also like fucked is pretty neat. Uh, I, I think he's really, uh, really good in this. He's also not a horror movie fan. Um, he had apparently not seen any of the previous Scream movies when he filmed this. It was Mason Gooding, who's a friend of his, uh, who convinced him to take the part. Um, it's, it was also, um, like, if, if you go back to the, um, interviews from the premiere, um, Letterboxd was asking, like, him about favorite scary movies at the time, and he was saying, like, I don't. And he was saying that he was more interested in like romantic comedies and things of that nature, which is interesting because I, I remember seeing in certain places they wanted the first call to play almost like it could have turned into a romantic comedy instead of a screen film. Well, there's which, even a line in there earlier, like, I prefer romantic comedies. <laughs> yeah. I I think that's interesting considering the fact that he he didn't like them that he's really good in this. So in the city, um, Samantha Carpenter, who is still played by um the star original series Vita's um Melissa Berea, is meeting with her therapist Doctor Stone, who is played by the star of the HBO original series Star Sharp Object. Harry, um, Strazini, uh, Strazini, once again, I don't know how to, I should really bother to figure out how to pronounce people's weird names. Henry Zerny. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Somehow in we six... We could just call him, we could just call him Kincaid. Yeah, Kincaid works. Anywho, somehow in six months of seeing this psychologist, he never realized she was the, he was that Samantha Carpenter, or that her father was Billy Loomis. She expositions that there's a rumor that she orchestrated Woodsboro 3.0 and framed Richie. She mentions killing Richie felt right. He shuts down their session, and Sam leaves. On her way out, she walks by Greg and Jason's apartment and tries to call Tara, but she does not answer. Kittrich, not Kincaid. Kincaid is screen three. Kittrich is Mission Impossible's one and seven. Sorry, that was going to bother me if I didn't correct myself. <laughs> um, 
Dr. Stone is supposed to have been like, it, it, it's not really much uh, of a thing in this version. It was more in the script, uh, but he's supposed to be a bit of a horror fan himself. Um, you can see in his apartment, he has um, a little kind of like a yarn doll family of the Adams family, which also seems to have a little yarn doll uh, leather face, if I'm correct, as well. Um, also, I do think that I don't know when I'm going to bring this up, so I might as well just bring it up now because this is the first time uh, we really hear anyone uh, bring up the fact that um, Woodsboro 3.0 uh, happened uh, about a year ago and the fact that they moved to New York about six months ago. The timeline is slightly wonky. Um, it, most of that would make uh, sense here and there, but like the fact that later in the film, uh, due to like uh, crime scene investigation, sort of the de- uh, dating of things, and um, say specifically that last year was specifically 2022, the actual year 2022. Now, later on in the film, however, the telephones say that it is Monday, October 31st. There is no Monday, October 31st in 2023. That is true. It's a Tuesday this year. Yes. So it's... the teeny tiniest little nitpick, but it is something I did notice. <laughs> Completely fair. I mean, so my entire thoughts are, okay, I think uh, what my brain ended up coming up with is that probably Woods, I'm thinking Woodsboro 3.0, based off of multiple things, probably was, I want to say, like, just for what, how long it would take for certain things to happen, namely Gail's book being written and coming out and everything. Unless like she really rushed on that shit. (laughs) I would say there's a good chance. Probably maybe it was like December or February. Not that it was probably like February or January of 2022. But then it was also hard for them to uh, continue to say, last year well if it's 2023 that the murder that basically what i'm saying is that this film took place after it was released i see so it would have been october 2023 right but 2023 doesn't have that date that's the thing so like it's either way it's minorly messed up (laughs) yeah i mean 2022 doesn't either. 2023 is a little bit closer, but they're off by a day. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, I will notice that uh, the Woodsboro Truther um, Reddit uh, that uh, Sam pulls up on her phone to show Dr. Stone uh, is referring to her, at least in one point, as Sam Loomis. I, I do wonder if anyone within this universe actually put together the idea of like, oh, 
Sam Loomis. Yeah, that could technically relate to her family, but that's also the name of characters in Halloween and Psycho. It's just like, I, I, I just would like to see someone in the Scream universe be like, oh, isn't that funny that this happened? Clearly they wouldn't, but... <laughs> um, I've recently watched HBO's um, documentary about the Slenderman um, attempted murder in, like, I think it was Wisconsin. Like, the two, oh. gir- the two young girls that tried to kill their friend. Yeah, I forgot about that, but yeah. The reason why I'm bringing it up is because, like, the entire idea of people making fan art of Sam thinking that she's a murderer is actually a lot closer to reality because one of the things they show in there literally is internet fan art from Tumblr that people did of the two girls that tried to freaking murder their friend. That's fucked. Yeah, kind of. Not kind of, just fucked. Yeah, so I find it is weirdly realistic that people would make fan art of Sam. Okay. <laughs> um, that just makes me very, uh, very sad and uncomfortable. Yeah. Um. Oh. Um. Other weird little, th- other little trivia things. Greg and Jason's apartment is at Elm Court. Ah, that's cute. Yeah. Um, the the last thing that I have listed on this page is the the fact that uh, Doctor Stone uh, says, "And uh, how did you stop him?" And she, he kind of smiles uh, at that and was like, well, how the fuck do you think she stopped him? I'm like, just like, why are you smiling about that? I stabbed him 22 times and then cut his throat. <laughs> no, I shot him and then, then he's frightened. But just like, why were you just like, oh, no, I, I, I politely asked him to stop murdering my friends and to not murder me, obviously. What did you think? Dr. Stone <laughs> is not a good psychologist, okay? <laughs> not particularly, no. Um, my last little note before we move on is that we have the first of, like, two original songs in for this film um, that plays, like, as, uh, as part of his establishing shot, which is in my head, and and like, and once again, it's a banger. Mm-hmm. So Sam goes home to the si- to the sound of struggles, but it just turns out it's her sex positive roommate Quinn, who is played by the Hulu original series Blaze Le- of Feathers, Leanna Um Vibretto. Sam finds out Tara went to a party at Omega Kappa Beta. The two spy their fucking hot shirtless roommate. Um, neighbor Danny, who is played by Disney's She-Hulk attorney at law's Josh Segura. I'm surprised you didn't go for our our own podcasting history here, because he is also the son of the wickedest witch in the middle. He was Reverend Boring Guy. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I was a hundred percent thinking of, of referencing that, but I was like, okay, but. I don't know. I, but I, nobody saw that. <laughs> yeah. Ex, li, yeah. Listen. I can't always keep with the... Keep with everything. But, no, well. 
it's all right. Like uh, the the fact that um, the fact that we have talked about him before is just funny to me. Uh, of course, he is given much more to do here than he was as the boring reverend. Um, now, I, I do I do love him very much in the other two, the as the sneaker himbo. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in She-Hulk, though, he's like the, she, um, he's like another attorney at her law office and everything. Nice. He's kind of a douche in it, but he's like, like he's a good douche. It's just, you know. <laughs> Sorry, uh, the, the phrase good douche, uh, is something, uh, you don't hear every day, um, unless... You have a much more exciting <laughs> personal life than I do. But anywho, um, Sam heads to the party. At the party are Mindy Meeks Martin and her girlfriend Annika, who are played by Yellow Jackets' Jasmine Savoy Brown and Sneakerella's Devin Nakoda, respectfully. Uh, Mindy is pretty well adjusted, and sure, lightning doesn't strike twice, so she's never going to get attacked and murdered by a ghost face killer again. Tara is fairly drunk and getting hit on by some douche bro. She decides to follow him to his room because he has Fireball up there, and I guess people like Fireball? I don't know. People's drinking cats. My mother, li- My mother likes Fireball. Kudos uh. oh. to your mother, then. <laughs> her friends um try to shut this down first annika and then roommates chat meeks martin and ethan played by love victor's mason gooding and under the domes jack champion chad is still a himbo king ethan is a dork anyway the douche nozzle gets aggressive so sam t- shows up and tases him everyone leaves um before actually i get into this i did have one thing that I forgot to say for the previous scene. Um, one of uh, uh, Quinn's conquests that you never see on screen. Oh well, you mostly don't see on screen. Um, is a uh, voice by uh, Tim Robinson from television. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah, I mean, good for Quinn um, being sex positive. So many films would have made this a big deal that, you know, she's kind of, uh, but good for her. Her friends are like, awesome, you have a lot of sex. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, she's the Blanche of the group. Yeah. But also, um, and also, Danny is fucking hot. Uh, yes, 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 yes. 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 It comes later in the film, but throughout my mind is just like on repeat playing back the wonderful, wonderful ironings scene. (laughs) Like the film, uh, and honestly, like the film is good about giving us fan service because Mason Gooding's Halloween costume is literally just, hey, I'm going to wear a cowboy hat and some pants and a neckerchief and that's it. Well, I I didn't get uh, through everything commentary-wise, but I remember the um, commentary uh, was talking about the fact that Ethan's costume is 
uh, based on a uh, an independent uh, horror comedy called Murder Party. While they were referring to um, uh, uh, to Chad's costume as uh, being Chad without a shirt. Listen, he's a hero <laughs> king. He, he's allowed to. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I quite like it. Um, but as we're on the subject of uh, costumes, I have quite the list here of costumes, um, both for um, this scene and later on I have another uh, uh, section of other costumes for another scene. But I'm just going to go through uh, a few of the costu- or the costumes here that are not just like public domain sort of like anyone can dress up as a banana kind of thing. At the party, they have Hot Rod, Alan from The Hangover, Wayne from Wayne's World, Wednesday Adams, which apparently there were more references to the Adams family prior to the fact that Wednesday came out because they didn't expect it to be as big a hit as it was. And then they didn't want it to be like, oh my God, we're patting her back so so much. <laughs> so they took out some of the uh, Adams family stuff. Uh, but even so, uh, there's a Britney Spears, and uh, there's a girl that they talk to that uh, is dressed as Harry Potter in 2023. Okay. Choices. <laughs> Yeah, and then, you know, Annika is like a pumpkin-ish thing. What is Mindy's costume supposed to be? I think Mindy is just Mindy. I don't think she wants to wear a costume. Okay, cool. Because I tried to figure out for, like, a few solid minutes, right down to the fact that it's like, okay, maybe? No, I don't think she would go for Bill Cosby, but... (laughs) The, the sweater. Dude. I think it's just a sweater. Well, yeah, I'm hoping so. <laughs> yeah, there's also a um, Rastafarian ghost face in the at the party. Oh, I, was that Rastafarian? I thought that was the Pride ghost face because they do sell a Pride ghost face mask. Oh yeah, I've seen the Pride ghost face. I think it was. Uh, I think the colors were the Rastafarian flag. I may be wrong. Oh. Well, you know, it's just hard to tell with the lighting in the scene as well. Yeah. Um, you know, if we're going to talk different kinds of ghost face masks, uh, in the later scene, there is also a bejeweled ghost face mask, which is quite striking. You know, kudos to them. So, I mean, right now, off of the scene, we get like a t- we get two new characters out of it. You know, two perspective, you know, corpses. And I think both of them, you know, give us a pretty good idea. I mean, honestly, like, they could have just had Mindy be the one to go and, you know, try and talk, of the two, to try and talk Quinn, not Quinn, <laughs> talk to her out of going upstairs. And the fact they went for Annika, you know, really made me like Annika right away. Yes. And, you know, Ethan is just kind of channeling, like, nervous nerd energy. Yeah. And also, I'm going to taste you in the balls really quick. I'd rather you not. <laughs> no, the law. Uh, I, I know. I know. 
that there was apparently uh, a cut scene. Uh, I don't know if they filmed it or if it was just in the script, but um, he was supposed to come back later and get um, either tased and or kicked in the balls again, to which Chad would have been like, oh, no, your balls again. thing is, since he was a named character, I kept expecting him to show back up again at some point, just to get killed off. Well, I, I guess that that was one thing that they were surprised by, the fact that people hated him so much that they got word that they wanted, uh, a lot of people wanted him to come back to be killed. But, meh. Maybe he'll be the opening kill of Scream 7. Um, I doubt it, but maybe. You know, he's trying to, you know, trade off the fact that, look, I knew the Carpenter sisters. I can talk about them, and then gets killed by a ghost face. <laughs> so, out on the street, Tara defends getting to hook up with Rando. Sam says she's not dealing with what happened. Then some random girls throw a drink on Sam, and she shoves one of them. Back at Tara and Sam's, Quinn apologizes for telling Sam where to find Tara, and they bond as she tells about how her father wouldn't let go of her after her brother died. Chad then shows up, and Sam thanks her for earlier. They nearly kiss, but then Quinn on cock blocks them. Chad leaves. Downstairs, Sam runs into hot neighbor Danny, and they make out. They're dating. In the midst of flirting, Chad yells for her to come upstairs, and the TV is announcing Greg and Jason's murder on. Sam is smart enough to realize they need to get out of Dodge. Quinn is going to call her dad, who's a cop, and Sam's phone rings, but it's just Gail, so who? So she just ghosts her. Quinn's dad tells Sam to come down to the station. Um... So they're when um, Sam and Tara are having their uh, little talk um, in kind of like the way home, uh, Ethan and Annika have already uh, switched their like headwear of their costumes around. Yeah, um, I, I wish that there were a scene kind of built around them actually doing that. That was just something the actors decided to do themselves. But I, I really like that moment just in general, or like the imagined moment of it. Um, however, uh, speaking about the fact that, that that's something that was the actor's choice, um, Danny and Sam already being together rather than having like a romance build throughout the film was Melissa's idea because they, she specifically wanted, uh, to have it be the fact that she's not closing herself off after all, all of that. She's trying to protect her family, sure, but she she's not kind of like off in her own Rapunzel Tower. Yeah. I mean, we aren't getting, you know, Sid, you know, just deciding, I'm fine, I'm fine. Like, she is actually, you know, trying to deal, and it's Tara's entire plot line that she, her way of trying to deal is not dealing. Right. And, I mean, we get a lot of setup. I'll 
what I really enjoy about this film is that we have a lot of Carpenter sister, you know, one-on-ones. Yes. Because we barely got that in the first one. And their chemistry is just, like, so natural. Right. So what do you think of, like, Chad and Tara? Oh, as a couple? Yeah. I like it. I think it works surprisingly, like, well. Um, it, it just felt felt very natural. They're both charming people who have been through a terrible ordeal, um, and have, as a group, decided to move. It makes sense to me. Um, it's weird knowing that they didn't really have a lot of scenes together in the last movie, like that he's in the hospital scene near the beginning of um, Scream 2022. Um, and technically speaking, they're both rolled out on stretchers in the same scene in the end. But like, I, I don't know. I, I really, I feel like they have known each other for a long time. And even though the fact that like, he was with someone else and you don't see uh, them interacting a lot uh, in that last movie. It feels like they're, they've known each other for ages and feels very natural. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen some, you know, people who are criticizing that he should be more torn over, over what's her face dying in the last film. But once again, okay, great. Name her character. You can't? Okay, congratulations. You're better than me at this. Because I'm... (laughs) I'm Literally, her character is just like, oh, girl who basically does nothing for most of the film and then acts acts weird and then dies. I mean, I I last watched uh, Five about two and a half, three weeks ago. Yeah, no, there's just, like, a lot being set up in, like, this one bit of scene. We have the Chad and Tara stuff. We have the Sam and Danny. We have the knife walk getting set up already. That's true. That is true. Because, you know, once again, you show a knife, a block full of knives, and you know these people are going to get attacked again. You're expecting that knife block to show up again. Right. And, of course, we have the... We have the utterance of, uh, this has nothing to do with us. And it's like, you really said that, didn't you? <laughs> like, honestly, Sam is smart once again for deciding we're just going to get away from the murder. Mm-hmm. I, I do love that line. Uh, you got to keep up, my dude. Yeah, because he's like, why are y'all looking at the phone? And it's like. You've not realized who you've been friends with for like the last, you know, six months. Right. So Sam and Tara head down to the station where Sam's phone rings. It's from, and it's from Richie's phone. It turns out that she, yeah, turns out she didn't delete his number in, you know, the last year, year and a half or so. Sam answers and it's Ghostface. He tells her he's going to punish her before jumping out to attack them both. They run into a bodega where Ghostface follows, killing two customers who get in his way, kill count five. The cashier fires a shotgun at him, 
but misses. He gets distracted. Stab, kill count six, and now Ghostface has a shotgun. Sam and Tara hide as Ghostface tries to find them. They push a shelf on him as they run out to the cops, but Ghostface got away out the back. Ghostface got a gun. Uh, so, uh, there's a lot of things to talk about in this scene. Oh. oh yeah. Um, so the first thing that I'm going to talk about, though, very minor thing, but so Richie's phone contact photo um, was one that um, Jack Quaid had taken uh, to show off the work of um, a, a, a small business owner who refers to uh, both uh, like his products, I suppose himself. Um, and the website as Small Town Weirdo. Uh, now, Small Town Weirdo makes like T-shirts and like stickers and all sorts of uh, different other neat pop culture stuff available online uh, for sale or in person in L.A. What he also does is makes gorgeous hand-painted pop culture designs on denim, which was... Uh, Jack Quaid showing off at the time that photo was taken, his denim jacket with Ghostface on the back. Hmm. Now they cut out the Ghostface, but uh, that that is like if you check Small Town Weirdo's website, you'll see that same picture, but with the actual um, Ghostface that is painted on the back of the jacket, and it's a great jacket. Um, wonderful. Uh, business as well i have a uh shirt that i got when i was last in la because they were they're selling their wares at a horror convention um but uh they, they do all sorts of different uh stuff um for like scream and uh halloween and all kinds of things the 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 line that is probably most popular um is the stuff that actually doesn't even have uh, a like a picture of a um a character from uh, a horror film or anything outside of that uh, nature anyway uh just saying um uh, they've got t-shirts hoodies tanks as well uh that all say either final boy final queer final them final girl um and they've got it in like a uh, blood red or in like uh, pride rainbows and i think those are really nice uh i couldn't decide which one i wanted to get so i ended up getting a scream shirt instead but uh <laughs> great uh, great work and uh i i i know that like they have um a, a lot of celebrity clientele but uh i i recommend their stuff uh <laughs> so yeah um now, beyond that, uh, I thought that bodega was surprisingly busy. Uh, like, I mean, if it, let's see. This is probably, there's a party going on on campus, which leads me to believe that, you know, this is, pro despite, you know, that, despite that phone later on, that this is probably a weekend, like a, a Friday or Saturday night. Fair, yeah. Okay, but even still... You could not fit a musical number in this bodega. Oh, no, you definitely could not. Um, 
the the name of the um the the bodega uh it's called uh Abe's Snake Bodega. Um that is a shout out to Wes because Wes Craven uh made a porno in the 70s and it was to, uh, directed by uh, or under the pseudonym of Abe Snake. Huh. That's yes. kind of fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I knew about it. I knew that Wes um, directed pornos, but... Yeah, uh, Abe Snake was the name that he had chosen. So they, they put it into this. Um, and the last thing that I, I have for this scene here... Um, throwing the the um, non-alcoholic beer can as a distraction... Uh, was not in the script. That was another sort of uh, collaborative thing with uh, Melissa being like, I feel like Sam would try to do something more than just hide in this scene. And then they kind of created that part, that beat from that, which is really interesting because it's like, that is like half of the tension of the scene. Honestly, like, so one of the criticisms I know of Scream 5 is that it doesn't have a lot of big set pieces. And yes. it's just like, you know, our first really big set piece. And it's just, it, the tension is just, like, terrific. Well, yeah. So they, they had said that they wanted this scene to be, like, Terminator by way of Jurassic Park. With, like, the whole raptors coming into the kitchen scene. And Ghostface with like, a shotgun shouldn't work, but it does. Oh, yes, absolutely. So, uh, I think this is a good time as any to, me- to talk about it. Um, one of my concerns with this film was always, you know, the New York City setting. I thought, you know, because one of the things I've always said about why Scream 3 doesn't work as well is because it's in a big open setting. It's people are always like driving places during the movie, which brings up the concern. Why don't they just drive away? This scene was supposed to have a even more point where, um, they, they were going to, um, uh, actually get out of the bodega and, uh, get into a cab. And then Ghostface was going to get, um, the into the cab and then the cab was going to get turned over but then like the people who were like putting it together producer wise were just like we can't do that and i don't i think that it works better as just like this small thing despite the fact that they wanted to uh, like have this like big grand ending to the scene the the fact of uh, Ghostface just vanishing in that moment there, I think it works very well. Oh yeah, it does. And like I said, my concerns were that we were going to get that and that like that entire thing of well, why aren't people getting away? And I think it works so well. I, also, I was concerned. Well, what if it's it's going to feel like you know touristy New York? Like we're going to have like oh, they're, they're going to get chased through the Empire State Building or the Statue of Liberty, <laughs> or Ghostface is going to take them to, like, the Statue of Liberty or something like that, or the Staten Island Ferry. And instead, it's like, a bodega, they're getting chased through a bodega. They're getting chased through a dilapidated um, movie theater. The only 
part in the entire movie where they go to a notable like New York's what's supposed to, what's a stand-in for a notable New York City um place is Central Park. Mind you, this is because the film is getting shot in freaking um Canada, but not New York City. Right. Um. Th- th- I, there were some people who were disappointed that uh, Stab the Musical did not factor into it, considering there were several posters that stated that that was going to be a thing. But I, I mean, I I'm fine with it just being a marketing joke. And also, this is like one of the first times in the series that we have just nameless people die. Like we've yes, had, yeah. we've had you know the random like dead body from a cop here or there, but usually they still you know have a name or something like that, even if it's just right. for half a moment. And here it's just like oh, this one guy. <laughs> oh no, not guy with. Bald things guy to who, pay for yeah, bald guy who's just like there's a line and then he jumps to the front of the line to get killed there's a fucking line here ladies <laughs> <laughs> no I mean like it's just a great freaking scene and like it's part one of the things that made me really think to myself okay yeah this they know what they're doing well, obviously, obviously, Scream 5, they knew what they were doing. But here, it's just like, okay, cool. I have confidence in how they're how they're going to take us through New York from here on out. Right. So, at the police station, Sam and Tara meet with Quinn's father, Detective Bailey, who is played by Secret Invasion's Dermot Marloni. He tells them that he found a mask at the apartment with Rich's D- Richie's DNA in it. Sam's license was also found at the crime scene. The FBI shows up claiming jurisdiction, and the FBI is one special agent, Kirby Reed, played by Hayden motherfucking Patnair. Kirby was a senior when Sam was a frosh. Bailey tells them Chill and Charlie's DNA was on a mask at the bodega. She shows off the mark from... On the stab wound from Charlie. Sam and Tara say they want to leave town, but they can't because they are people of interest. They try to leave the police station, at least, only to run into the press, including Gail Weathers, played by Mother Courtney Cox. Sam tries to punch her. She dodges, but then Tara gets in the punch. Gail wrote a book, and she tells them Sid and family went into hiding. Sam and Tara, peace out. Okay, so... Before I get into Hayden Penny's hair, I, I'm going to uh, say one thing that has nothing to do with Scream 6, despite the fact that I just find it very, very interesting. You know, did you know that Dermot Mulroney is a classically trained cellist? I did not. He has played in the orchestras for The Incredibles 2, Rogue One, several um, Mission Impossible films, and other films as well. That is pretty freaking fascinating, honestly. I thought so, yes. <laughs> but yes, I, I found that out recently, and I just, I think it's really neat. <laughs> now, uh, how do you feel about Hayden Panettiere's hair? I mean, hey, I, one, I liked 
I liked Kirby's hair in Scream in Scream Four. But right. here, I mean, you know, it's it's pretty. It's not bad. I've seen. See, worse. I, 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 w- I wondered just because so many people were like, "Oh, I hate her hair in this movie." And she's like, "Why? It's it's hair." Yeah. It's not the same hair, but it's hair. <laughs> it's not like she has. It's not like she has bangs. <laughs> Little itty bitty fringy bangs. Now her jacket is very interesting to me because, like, um, you don't really get a good shot of it here. Like, it's the same jacket later on, but um, when she's holding her gun up, it's easier to tell. Uh, her, like, the arms of her jacket have these little kind of like straps that are like silver so it looks like a little daggers on the side of her jacket yeah and i think that's it, it's very interesting but it's also just like was that because of where you were trying to direct the character to possibly be going yeah no the little metal pits are yeah they're a nice part of the jacket I guess. I thought it was interesting. Yeah. But yeah, no, Kirby's back. It's exciting. Um, literally my the my film club I'm in, a running gag for like a good year was basically just anytime somebody announced anything, also also to include oh, by the way, did you hear that Hayden Patineer is back in Scream and then posting the exact same article from I think Variety where that announced it? Hmm. Because the day they announced that she was back, literally we, um, at least five different people in the chat posted it within, like, five minutes of each other. That happens sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, she's here because Greg and Jason were super fucking dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Like, she basically followed them to you. Was like, okay, let's keep an eye on these two chuckle fucks because they are probably going to try and kill somebody. And what happens? They fucking killed somebody and then they got fucking ganked themselves. You see through? Like, she brings a lot of energy to the film that I think really, you know, we get, we get a legacy character in here that I think does a Fairly, it does a fairly fun, good job. Well, there's... She's so beloved. Like, the first several times I saw this movie, there were, like, woos and cheers and yeah. um, clappings and things, all for the, uh, like, for Kirby's arrival that I just don't see very often in, like, movie going. And it was nice. Uh, even like more recently, like, uh, I was showing a friend of mine, um, all of the Scream films. He had never seen them before. Mm-hmm. And we got through all of them and we got to six. And like, as, um, the, like, um, the other cop came in and was like, oh, uh, FBI, I'd like to see you or whatever. Um, my friend said, now, I know that someone is going to be in this movie, but when would... And that's when, <laughs> like, she turns around and is like, oh! <laughs> yeah, like, when they announced she was in the film, my first thought was, okay, she's going to be, like, a film professor. 
Mm. I wouldn't have enjoyed that yeah. necessarily. No, like there's the whole a cab of it all being in a, like a movie itself, but um, you know, <laughs> yeah. I I feel like this feels more um, like I could see it for the trajectory trajectory of the film and the character. In other people that, you know, in other legacy characters, Gale, wearing a, once again, wearing a, like, bright, you know, dress suit. Blue this time. Yeah. I wonder what color she'll wear next time, if she's in the next film. If she's in the next one, yeah. I mean, but in this case, I mean, for Gale, oh, babe, it's one step forward, two steps back. Yeah, I mean, she did say, like, that she wasn't going to write about it, and then she wrote about it, and they talked about the fact that that's literally what happened, but call I don't know. Sa- call Sam um, dangerous, and yeah. Uh, was a born a dangerous and bored killer or something yeah. to that effect? And also, like, I heard you couldn't sell the movie rights. Well, it's all about true crime reality series now. That's what I actually kind of find, you know, beautifully hilarious about this. Like, basically, Amber and Richie's entire plan for for why they did Scream, um, Scream 5 was to get another sad movie out. And even with King Gale going and writing a book about it all, she still wasn't able to sell it. Boo-hoo. <laughs> and I think this is as good a place as any to talk about, you know, um, the notable absence in the film. Nancy O'Dell? Yeah, yeah, Nancy O'Dell. I mean, they had so many opportunities. She could have easily been in that crowd of reporters and they didn't <laughs> take the time to, you know, fly her up to Vancouver, wherever they were shooting the film and Montreal. the film suffers because of it. <laughs> I don't know. So, no, uh, Campbell's not in the film ever. Yeah. Uh, I think they handled it very well. Now, clearly I always feel that Nev should get everything she wants. And she's a delight of a presence, and she should be in more things. But the 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 fact that the filmmakers themselves, not the studio, like who was lowballing her, uh, um, did the way handled it the way they did, I think was very nicely done. And it is a true fact that. It is nice to have Sydney Prescott have her happy ending as well. Now, would I love for her to come back? Is it possible that she might already have, have signed to come back? We don't know for sure. But I, I like the idea of Sydney just being happy as well. Yeah. And so there have been conflicting reports. Five radio right. silence themselves, even. Of, oh, oh yeah, no, no. We have to majorly change the script for the um when they didn't bring Ned back to. Well, it was we were we were didn't need to change it too much. 
from what I had heard, it was mostly um, like set up for seven that they had to cut, but uh, and that like she wasn't initially going to be in um, in it um, before that. Uh, now there might have been like an earlier cameo, basically, um, but I I don't know for sure. Because I've not seen that script. <laughs> but any way around, like, I think it works for the better because it gives them much more of a chance to focus on, you know, our returning characters from Scream, from Scream 5. Right. Like, and honestly, they should. It, like, I, like I've said before, my biggest problem with Scream 4 was the fact that in the long run it was still all about Gale, Dewey and and Sid and not the new yeah. ge- next generation and and they had made a conscious decision, no this is who we're focusing on Yeah, it truly was a passing of the uh, Mikey Batson <laughs> Speaking of which it's kind of weird that, you know, Richie's DNA is on this mask, but Amber's not even brought up in the conversation. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, but I think that happens once more with one of the doubles up as well. Um, so, like, meh. <laughs> yeah. Almost like the killer has something against Amber. Just saying. Mm-hmm. So at the therapist's office, he's watching Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and just and you know the, the, it's the famous scene of they're coming they're coming for you, um and somebody's knocking at the door and it's Ghostface who smashes who smashes through the window and stabs him in the head. Kill Count 7, before breaking in and sealing Sam's file. At school, Mindy is giving the rules and her theories to the friend group. They're in a franchise, she says. Anyone can die. She says Ethan and Quinn are suspects because roommate drawings can be juked, and cops don't disqualify you. Also, never trust the interests. Quinn and Ethan point out anyone can be the killer, though. Including the Core 4. Core Not 4! yet. True. Um, so Dr. Stone apparently originally um, in the earlier version of the script when he was going to be um, more of a horror fan, like again he still is uh, but even still uh, they were going to make it more abundantly clear Um he was not going to be watching Invasion of the Body Snatchers originally. He was going to be watching Stab 8. <laughs> so I I don't know when exactly that changed, but um, yeah. Certainly, like I, I don't know if they would have needed to uh, make new footage for that, because really there's, there's very little footage that we have of Stab 8, really just kind of the... Um, uh, the chrome ghost face with the flamethrower is about it. And that's all they really would have needed. Well, uh, I, I feel like this is a longer clip, but 
Anyway, um, there is, however, a, a VHS on his um, TV stand. Uh, did you catch the, the title of that film? Was it something like, I don't know, um, The Sea Splash or something like that? Or Dead Meat? Uh, uh, yeah, I believe that that might have been the title, yes. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> I got so excited, like, the first time I noticed that in the, uh, in the screenings, uh, I think it was my second time, could have been my third time, but, uh, I was just like, oh, they're in it! I mean, they're not in it, but they're in it! <laughs> you know what, I honestly miss having a real rules talk, because we kind of had one last time. But in this case, like, literally just saying the rules at any point, it's just like, you know what, I I have missed this. You are truly your, you are truly your uncle's niece. <laughs> yes, but I, I do feel like, unless their mother comes back, um, this should be the last one that we keep on bringing up Randy. Because Randy keeps getting brought up in every single movie, while like Tatum was barely referenced in three, um, and barely referenced in five. I mean, like her urn was there, and was not referenced in two, was not referenced in um. Oh yeah, I said yeah. She so she was barely referenced in most of those, and just like that was a very core character for the relationships of these characters. Like it, it would make a lot of sense for like Dewey to have kept on bringing her up, for uh, Sydney to keep on bringing her up, but she never really was, and like. Kenny is rarely brought up again, but a lot of the other kills are not brought up again. So the fact that Randy is just because he was the fan favorite is just like, it it makes sense considering their family, but it's just like they're, they're reaching a point that it could be too much. Yeah. And, Okay, so the rules in, like, Scream 1 and 2 are, you know, they aren't really, you know, the, they're meant, to, they're there basically to lead expectations, but not to actually, and just be commentary on horror in general. Right. But they do are have at least something to do with the film itself. Now, the rules in Scream 3 are completely off. But you know what those rules have? They existed on a videotape that, if I have to make a guess, yeah, she has probably seen any amount of times in her life. And the fact that she come, that she has the rules for the franchise and they are completely off just like the rules in Scream 3, like, right down to anyone can die when literally the rules of the trilogy were anyone could die. 
Yeah. Huh. What I'm saying, Mindy, is maybe you should also lay off the rules for that reason as well. You're not going <laughs> to. But maybe. Yeah, it's the the rules are getting repetitive themselves. Um I enjoy the scenes, but there's there's not really much that the has necessarily happens that can necessarily be rules anymore. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? What are you really going to do for the next one? Because you've already established as a franchise. So is it going to be the rules of the seventh one in the series? (laughs) The rules of a continuing sequel? Also, did, did, did you also feel a little called out by, you know, referring to Amber and Richie as letterbox accounts instead of personalities? Because eh. I got a little called out. I laughed at the time, I believe. Oh, I laughed, but then I was like, hey. <laughs> I resemble that remark. <laughs> So, at the police precinct, Bailey tells Kirby the therapist is dead, and they found a mask with Roman's DNA at the scene. They break down the deaths so far, they think the deaths are leading to something, and Bailey asks somebody to call the Atlanta office um, to check on Kirby. Um, so, this is the first time that Nancy Loomis's first name is said on screen, uh, despite the fact that uh, it was written to be referenced in, uh, I believe, three and four. Yeah, like, I've been calling her Debbie Loomis for years. <laughs> yes. Um, like, I think I even call her Debbie I, Loomis I, back in our Scream 2 review. I don't remember now. It was so long ago. But, yes, Debbie Salt doesn't exist. So... <laughs> uh <laughs> Uh, but the fact that Nancy Loomis, Debbie Salt, uh, is on the board, they had to get approval from all of the people, not just, uh, herself, uh, who were previous killers, uh, to be on the, um, uh, the murder board to have their likeness approved to be like, yeah, you can use your, um, thing for the movie. Apparently some, uh, actors, agents were like, oh, can you use this photo? I was like, well, that was taken 15 years after the character was supposed to have been dead. So, no. Uh, but um, with Laurie Metcalf, I think her people were probably much more receptive to being like, yeah, well, whatever works for your movie. Uh, because uh, Laurie Metcalf's picture was taken in 1999, which is not uh, too terribly far away from 1997. However, what made me chuckle so greatly in the theater, and nobody else would have understood this, but I have seen this photo so many times in my life. It is a photo of Laurie Metcalf at the premiere of Toy Story 2. <laughs> it, it looks like a freaking premiere photo. A <laughs> little bit. Like, most everyone else's looks like, they look like publicity photos, but Lori Metcalf's is just like, yeah. 
I don't know. But, I mean, like, I just, there's just so many nice little Easter eggs on the murder board. That's yes, that that's true. That was the murder board. I thought, look, my handwriting's so bad that I saw a murder beard. <laughs> uh, I heard them play once. <laughs> But yeah, no, there's just like all these nice little Easter eggs on there. I mean, like, and I think we basically already went over most of them, but like just the, like there are the random question marks, like next to certain people or like also just, you know, confirmations of last names, like Mickey's last name. Mickey Altieri, yes. Yeah. Otherwise he was just Mickey, the freaky Tarantino film student. <laughs> But another thing is, Kirby is really smart. Like, mm-hmm. Kirby is the smartest person in this entire freaking film. And But it's one of those things where she has all these clues, but she doesn't know what to do with them. Like, the fact that yeah. she, she is just saying, why would you even kill the therapist? Why would Sam want to kill her, her alibi? And, uh, why would she? She would not. Yeah. The, fa- the fact that he was not a particularly good therapist doesn't mean that she would want to kill him. Well, also, killing him at a time that, you know, oh, it, the, like most big college campuses, this one probably has a CCTV system, so it can probably see, oh, look, there's Sam. And Mindy is yeah. yelling at her about, about, like, anyone can be a suspect. But not us. Okay, yeah, right. no, no, that, it couldn't have been Sam. What I'm saying is, if Kirby, you know, ever became a killer, the movie is also over in like 15 minutes. But that's just because literally <laughs> just lure everyone into a building and blow it up. <laughs> I just pictured her with like Snively Whiplash style dynamite box. So at the Carpenter apartment, Chad names the survivors the Core Four. Core Four. <laughs> then Annika, then Annika and Quinn are bunking up in the apartment uh, as a news report lists Sam as the prime suspect in the murders. Tara consoles Sam. Chad and Mindy also join in, and and Danny across the court bar, courtyard sees Ghostface in Quinn's room. Quinn is oblivious on the phone. He tries to catch Sam's attention in the kitchen to no avail. Ghostface moves to Quinn's guy in the bathroom. They hear everyone in the kitchen hears struggles, but does nothing until everyone gets a text of the attack, and Ghostface throws Quinn's body at them. Tara and Chad get out of the apartment. Mindy gets slashed, Annika gets stabbed, and Sam goes for a knife, but finds them they're all gone, so she just uses the block as a weapon. They hide in Quinn's room, find dead boyfriend in the bathroom, kill count eight. Danny extends a ladder across the courtyard for them to cross. First Sam gets across, then Mindy. As Annika is crossing, Ghostface breaks into the room. He shakes the ladder, knocking her off. Kill count nine. So, the uh, the boyfriend in the bathtub. Oh god, that guy is dead. <laughs> um, knowing who the killer is um 
do you think it was a case of um, that person just being in the wrong place at the wrong time? Or did the other killer, uh, did the killer at that time want to kill this person because uh, out of a sense of um, moral duty for protecting one's, well, uh, let's not be around the bush, family, or perhaps a sense of jealousy that someone was getting someone they weren't? If I'm being 100% honest, it's, one, the guy was... I would say wrong place at the wrong time, but somebody invited him over, I'm just saying. He didn't just walk in and... This, uh, he didn't just walk in and they were like, oh, they sex. <laughs> Don't mind if I do. But, and so, yeah, no, no, like... Guy got the guy got murdered, and I don't. Was this Roger? Was this Steve? I can't. I, who knows? <laughs> he's the guy in the bathroom. All we know he's is dead. he's. All he know, we know is he's not Paul. Yeah. Or maybe it was Paul. <laughs> well, I think the voice in the shower was still Tim Robinson. Okay, so fair. even though even though the voice doesn't match the face of the mannequin in the tub, it should still be not Paul. Yeah, which is officially his name in my mind. <laughs> yeah, um, we get we bring the knife block is back and yeah, no knives in it. <laughs> the way the way you said that just reminded me of like. No bullets left. <laughs> <laughs> and before anyone is just like, well, why would you, if you live in an apartment building, why would you have a ladder? It's like, well, did you look at the apartment building? There's no fire escape on their side. Mm. Now, that is based on uh, a real Montreal kind of alley uh, back of a apartment building. Um that was all done um, practically with initially um, stunt people on wires. And then um, they had the regular actors, um, like the non-stunt actors, uh, doing it um, again um, on a set that was a replica. Um, and they had to fall like four feet. Um, but... The, the the fact that they didn't have to use uh, like or like radio silence specifically asked to not uh, have to use like green screens and creating all that sort of stuff in post um, and the, the fact that it, for the most part that is really a real space um, is very interesting also scary oh yeah no no I don't know how I, I actually, when I was watching the scene originally in the theater, I, it took me a moment to realize, oh, I stopped breathing like 20 seconds ago. Oh, I th honestly, I think the latter scene might be the scariest scream scene, period. Yeah. Um, now, I, I do get mild vertigo here and there, so I think that I might be more predisposed to be like, um, 
kind of uh, like afraid of that sort of scene. Uh, but this is also the first time a Scream movie was th- uh, converted to 3D. Um, there is not a 3D Blu-ray for it, but it it was available in um, the original theatrical screenings in 3D. Uh, that was really the only scene that really worked in 3D. Everything else was very, like, minimal. But, like, with 3D or without, it's both... Um, just skin crawling uh and awful <laughs> um now just before uh we got to the ladder though uh everybody's having that little heart to heart and uh chad says now just a reminder not a single person in this room hates you uh that scene was kind of written about the fact that there was a large portion of internet chuds who were very against Melissa Barrera and the fifth movie. And they wrote this scene and partially Sam as like a character for this film kind of as a response to that sort of shocking response I don't understand necessarily any of it, uh, and I'm I'm surprised that it had happened because I, I didn't notice it myself when it was happening. But surely it did happen. Yeah, like I I remember hearing some of this stuff. I know I and I personally was not as big a fan of Sam's character, but that's mainly because I was a, I thought okay, well if we had one of Sam or Sam or Tara, like in the next one, I would prefer to be Tara just because I like Tara's character more. I never hated the character of Sam, though. Right, and, like, and that I think that's a distinct. I think that's a distinct difference. But yeah. like uh, having a preference is not necessarily the same as uh, the kind of like vitriol that Melissa Barrera was getting through. Yeah, and the internet or is having a sucky to get through. place. Yes, yes, it is. We say on the internet. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And like in re- in the continuity, yeah, no, like the fact there is an entire like hate Reddit dedicated to Sam. Right. I don't even want to think about what the freaking chants were saying about her. Like four chan is toxic enough as it is, like that alone. I've I've never been there. I don't think no one, no nice insane person should ever go to four chan. Noted. And the fact that there are worse versions, there are derivatives that are worse than it, says all you need to know. So Annika's death. I am very sad that Annika's Annika dies here. Well, I mean, I I like all of the characters yeah. in this film. It's sad that any of them had to die, but it is still a horror picture. Oh yeah, it is. But what makes it sad is that, like, you know, she gets of I think most of the main characters. I think like she's the one who gets some of the best development in it, and then she dies because wrong place, wrong time, kind of. 
Yeah. Well, like it's she, also she people tried. to be around. Yeah. Well, like she for for that sort of thing. Like she loves Mindy, but the, like the fact that like her foreshadowing of the fact that like oh I should stick around you because you've been through this before, so therefore our chances are going to be better that it doesn't happen again and that it happens again because you're in the vicinity. Yeah. It's sad. <laughs> and the thing is, she pretty much, if she had, like, you know, maybe an extra two or three seconds to get across that ladder, I think that, you know, she lives. You know what takes about two or three seconds? Arguing I with guess... your girlfriend who goes first. Oh. I thought you were going to say a kiss. <laughs> uh, I'm, not, I'm never... Listen, I am never going to be somebody who says that any expression of queer love on film should not happen. Because, no, no, that is, like, probably... that In a film that is full of, you know, good kisses, that is definitely up there. Yeah. My And, like I said, my problem is if you would have just said, let her, Mindy go first, you probably live. And instead, you get like possibly one of the nastiest looking deaths because there's that close up of her as she hits the as she hits the dumpster and then her flying face up on in the alleyway. Mm-hmm. And it's like ugh. so freaking brutal. And this is after you know the fact that you know she's already kind of bleeding out as is. Yeah. There was like a the twisting of her insides. Yeah. Gnarly. Like, if, if she lives through this, she is probably spending the rest of the movie in the hospital. But obviously, she doesn't live through it. <laughs> no. <laughs> she comes back in seven, like, I'm not better! I was dead for about four minutes. <laughs> yeah, that could happen. <laughs> For some people, not necessarily in this part. Um, you're about to get uh, to this point in your actual uh, synopsis, but I'm just going to say it just because it's literally like the next thing. Uh, Ethan is going to come in and say, I had Econ. I really wish that that became a meme because that it, it feels so similar in the same vein as I mean tech from Smash. <laughs> or Go Mr. Ahead. Green saying, I didn't do it. <laughs> yes. And then also, uh, just because it's a little easier to talk about here, they never say if they if the killer left a uh, mask here, but if they did, I guess it would have been Mickey's. Because Mickey's mask doesn't get left yeah, any place. I, I... Right. I mean, unless they're just completely skipping Mickey, like they skipped Amber. No, I that that's what I was thinking with the Amber thing before. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> So, the next morning, Sam and Danny are outside the apartment. She's paranoid. Danny encourages Sam not to trust anyone. Ethan shows up, and Mindy clocks him as hella sus. 
Detective Bailey shows up then, telling Sam and Tara he's off the case, and if you fuck with his family, you're dead. And Sam agrees. Gail is next to pop in, and she found something. Kirby is is the next next person to show up. Gail um, found a secret building in Greg and Jason's name. Kirby says it makes no sense. It's an old movie theater and a shrine to Ghostface, with sketches and artifacts from throughout the series. Tara wonders how all this stuff is here, and Gail says it was likely sold by some crooked cops. Sam finds a mannequin with Billy Loomis's cloak and knife, and she sees an image of her dad encouraging her to kill again. Mindy theorizes that this should be the lair of the killer, and that there must be a different ending if this isn't a normal ghostface killing. She and Kirby bond over horror movies and nearly getting killed. Gail gives Sam some advice, and Bailey says he has an idea. So, um, with that friend of mine who had never seen any of them until I showed them all to him, um, I don't know if it was that friend or another friend who was with us while we watched all of them who um, mentioned all of these necessarily, but at least one or two of them collectively came up with the fact that um, the theater is basically a bat cave um, and that it should have a dinosaur, a giant penny and a nightwing suit. Um, now if you actually do look into both, uh, like the film, um, like frame by frame, as well as some of the, um, special features, you can, uh, find, uh, out that it has, uh, a bit of the, uh, garage door from the first movie. You can uh, see Casey Becker's swing set. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't understand why Randy's shirt would be in there because like I mean yeah it belonged to Randy but it wasn't what he was wearing while he got killed it wasn't what he was wearing when he got attacked uh, it wasn't really involved in any of the killings in any way but whatever I guess it's recognizable so it's there um it, it, there was the uh, Kenny's um, top story jacket. Um, there's the um, uh, Tom Prince's phone. Um, you've got uh, the sculpture mask uh, that was on the screen, th- or uh, sorry, the Stab Three production office wall. Um, there was uh, the Cassandra play like mask as well as like the the son that um jerry o'connell had been tied up to uh happy birthday roman banner um and defibrillator which is just like it's amazing that i mean i guess it would have to be but it was just like Defibrillators are expensive. You're really going to have the cops take that from the hospital? It's a murder weapon. I guess. But 
Yeah, but it's also like it's, it's a hospital and they need defibrillators, but, but whatever. Um, it's worth pointing out none yeah. of these are actually the original props. These are recreations, yeah. but they're damn good recreations. This is true, yes, yes. Um, the um, the stew uh, party robe is like pitch perfect. Somebody needs to actually sell one of those things because I want to buy one. <laughs> For just like every day or specifically parties? Both. Alright. Also, of course, there is the TV that killed that killed Stu. Now, the fact that they say, if you believe he's dead, I was the only person in the theater who laughed at that, but it made me laugh so fucking hard. The first time I saw this movie. Oh yeah, I, I had a good case of the giggles also. <laughs> but once again, Kirby, one of the smartest people realizing and saying, hey, no, no, I looked over their financials. This isn't on there. And Gail underestimating her by saying like, oh, I'm just really good at my job. It's like, well, no, she, she is. <laughs> but... Um, are we going to talk about, um, uh, Kirby and Mindy's, uh, heart to heart? Oh yeah. Like there, I, I'm not alone in, in, um, you know, detecting some queer coding there, right? Oh, I, I, I didn't see it as a, um, like a, like, I'm not seeing it as a flirting type thing. Like, just as a, you know, hey, it's a heart and heart between two queer girls. I didn't notice that, no. Um, that's cool. But, yeah, I didn't read it that way at all. Um, I just wanted to ask you the questions that they go through and get your opinions. Okay. So, uh, we've got Best Nightmare. Three. Interesting. Now, personally, I I go with uh, officially one, but I think I'm moving to two. I mean, two is an under is an underrated like film completely. Like, there's literally yeah. an episode of there's an episode of my other podcast project where we talked about it this season. So, well, and like I I just. Like, technically speaking, one is a better film, but I think I like two more, just in general. And obviously, Um, like, New Nightmare is just terrific on all counts. uh, That's usually my third, I think, in my lists. But yes, it's it's a very good film. Uh, Best Friday. Six. Yes, uh, actually, uh, so... The last time I did a ranking of the Fridays, I put three as my favorite. Um, that might be a little high, specific, uh, partially because I had been watching it in the digital 3D format, uh, which it looks great if you have uh, access to uh, a 3D setup and the 3D Blu-ray from that Shout Factory collection. It's great. Uh, that... Seeing it that way really helps the film as a whole. Um, but it, I might be giving it extra points because of the 3D. 
for just a basic movie, absolutely six. Yeah. Though I will definitely say four through six are a really good stretch of films. Like, I like five more than most people do. Because five has just oh. so many weird characters in it that I can't help I. It. I know that, like, James A. Janice likes those hillbillies, but I hate them. It's something about the line about how, about how, like, the hillbilly mom is just, like, obsessed with making stew. I mean, whatever. Like, I, I, you like I, what you like. I, I like the weird campiness of it, okay? Fair enough. It, it, like, I, I'm not gonna judge it. It, it everybody likes the, their own stuff i'm just i wondered that's all okay. uh that's why i was asking the questions okay so uh psycho 2 i have not seen it. it is on my list of things to watch interesting uh i do believe yes it is underrated uh i first saw it i don't know if i first saw it with the riff tracks or not i have the riff tracks for it uh and it's funny but it's actually, like, it's a damn good movie anyway. Um, Psycho 3 is not as good as 2. Psycho 4 is not very good, although that has C.H. Pounder and um, Henry Thomas. So those are interesting, the fact that both of them are in it. Um, but yeah, really, Psycho 2 is the, the main one that you really should see if you haven't seen them in, at all. Uh, and then Candyman, original or requel? Both. Uh, I, I would say both. I do think that the original edges it out for me. I mean, I, for me, it's partially as well a making of the film that is like, that has like a, that is being made by a black filmmaker. For, because it's just such a intrinsically, and not to mention, I think Nia DaCosta is an, is absolutely brilliant. I am sure, so looking yeah. forward to see. I'm so looking forward to seeing the Marvels. Uh, I'm I'm very excited for the Marvels. Yes, um, I I don't know. There were things that just didn't add up for me in the the requel. Uh, same as the original so that's like i think that i go to the original more more because of tony todd than anything like yeah he's technically in the requel but (laughs) i i feel both of them have like little itty bitty things that i'm just like "Eh, I, i could do without that or that doesn't quite make sense for me but I, I do like them both very much. Um, I even like parts of the second one, which isn't in continuity with the newer ones, but, um, it's, it's certainly not a good film overall. But like, if you take like that opening scene of the second movie, that would be an, a good kind of a Candyman themed short film. Um, the, the third movie is dreadful. <laughs> Oh, have you seen the third one before? I have not seen two or three before. Oh, interesting. Okay, well, I'm I'm interested to see what you say, uh, what you think of them. But uh, yeah, 
But yeah, no, I mean, honestly, like it's 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 a fun little fil- film geek. It's a it's nice getting reminded that Kirby was the real film geek of screams of Scream Four. Yes. And also, like, I was not 100% expecting to see Skeet Oldrich again, and, you know, they aren't having, like, you know, entire long scenes of her seeing him. Like, it's like this and, like, one other scene, and both of them are literally at the exact same place. Right. I don't imagine we'll see him again. Yeah, like, just from how the film ends, I think that they have done everything they needed to there. Like, if right. you see him again, it'll be for, like, maybe a split second. Mm. But also because the CGI they used to make him look younger in in 5, they really did not go for that with 6. <laughs> like, you can tell he's old at this point. <laughs> so, in Central Park, Sam and Tara are walking around as bait while everyone else is in a van. Kirby is going to trace the call when Ghostface shows up and call- and calls them. And sure enough, Ghostface calls them. Mindy reminds her that this is how Uncle Randy died. Sure enough, when he call when Ghostface does call, he's uptown and at Gales. Sam and Tara steal Bailey's car and call Danny to get there. So uh, I did forget uh, on previous page here. Um, we did get one more uh, bit of uh, Broken Arrow music uh, when referencing Dewey, oh, yeah. which shot to the heart. Uh, it's real sad. Made me real emotional at the time. Um, th- and the fact that uh, Kirby mentions technically I did die so that everybody could be right. Yep. <laughs> everyone's right and everyone's wrong. Yep. Um, as as I said before, the thing about Randy, like, it makes sense that we brought it up in this point. Like, this is exactly how Uncle Randy died. But it's like we we probably don't need any more references to Randy in the next ones. Yeah. Uh, at least not explicit ones. Now the fact that. Um, Ethan is eating Cheetos, crunchy Cheetos specifically, in the back of this van is a nice little reference to Kenny. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Ethan's you know, just kind of there. Yeah. Keep but... an eye on him. <laughs> um, another thing that was in um, bloopers, which again, I don't know where they were coming from, but I've seen some of them online because I've certainly not on the Blu-ray. Um, there, there was one bit where like uh, in the bloopers where Ethan was trying to offer Chad some of the Cheetos and instead uh, Mason went for Jack Champion's fingers and started to lick the cheese off of them. <laughs> you know what? Sure. <laughs> I, I don't think that ever would have been in the movie, but it was a funny joke. And also, Sam and Tara stealing the cop car is, you know, it is very, it, it's cute. Ah, absolutely. 
That's a cop car. You can't steal a cop car. Are we going to play? Are we going to use the sirens? Of course. Did you think that we were going to steal a police vehicle and not use the sirens? So at Gail's, Gail is on the computer while her boyfriend answers the phone. It's Ghostface. He taunts her while her boyfriend gets murdered behind in the background. Kill count ten. Ghostface chases her around and but Gail gets her gun and shoots at him through a door. He continues to taunt her, so she hangs up on him and immediately recalls to find out where he is. He gets the jump on her though and nearly stabs her in the head when Sam and Tara get there. Shooting at him, the paramedics arrive, Ghostface gets away. Um, she said before that this is Courtney Cox's favorite scene that she's done. Um, and I, I really enjoy it myself. It's a lot of fun with like the whole action of it. There's suspense of it. Uh, it gets me teary as well with like more uh, talking about Dewey, like, which again feels very raw with Courtney, uh, the way that she plays it, like that fuck you feels like deep. <laughs> like, um, but I do wonder, uh, like Gail, you live in a high rise, so why not drop the fucker over the edge? Like Batgirl. Um, well, like Batgirl over the edge, not, you know, <laughs> um, the, what that um that roger delivers as ghostface after the uh can you hold please is fucking iconic it's amazing i love it so much yeah. uh it's oh i i love this movie ah! like in so many films no one ever thinks hey ghostface has a phone why don't i try redialing <laughs> it to find out where he's calling from the yeah. fact that it takes Gail, this Gail's the first one to take, do and it takes six films. And why would your ringer even be on? <laughs> Honestly. But no, like, and this is this is the first time in six films that Gail has had the phone call with Ghostface. Yes. And when I realized that for the first time, I was like, wait, that can't be right. And the fact that I was just amazed that it took him this long. Cause I, well, she, yeah. she, she thought she was going to uh, get a call in two. It's like uh, trying to find in um, the the park area. It was like all the other people like, who is this? Like, Who's this? Gail Weathers, author of the Woodsboro Murders? No, not Ghostface. You can tell there's not a scary voice on it, but yeah, it's 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 a wonderful call, and it it is a surprise that it took that long for Gail to actually finally get one. Uh, but I think it was handled beautifully. And I'm glad Gail doesn't die. Oh my God, yes. So like, I I was so certain she was about to. The first time I saw it, I, like, I was getting, like, the, no, 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 please don't. And then I had kind of, like, resigned myself that, like, okay. 
And then, like, we got a weak fall, so like, yay! I went through the whole emotion gambit. Meanwhile, Gail's boyfriend, I... Jesus Christ, I, it took me forever to realize, oh, he actually does have a name. Oh, does he? Yeah, I, I, I don't know what it is. Like, let's just, the character is just so insignificant because he's never referred to before this scene. And then he gets killed. And then Gale doesn't even seem to really care all that much. But meanwhile, Dewey, well, Dewey gets mentioned and she tears up. Well, yeah. So, I mean, the, the love of her life versus the new boyfriends that, like, I, I understand that she would necessarily uh, would not necessarily uh, be as broken up about it because she, this is a newer person in her life. Um, ha, and the fact that she's kind of busy right now, like she doesn't have the time to mourn this man. Um, there is the uh, like uh, fact of her agreeing with the guess not about the muscles didn't help, but. Like she's she's also trying to like play with Ghostface a little as well. Like so, th- it's I'm not too surprised. It's also Gale. <laughs> like, True. There's a little detail in here that you really, unless you're paying attention or you've seen it the first time, you really don't realize what it realize it. But Ghostface says to Gale, legacy characters are disposable. Yes. And there were only so many people who were there when Mindy gave that speech. This is true. And if you're paying attention, you know where all of them are, except for, you know where all of them should be. Yeah. Which means one of them probably isn't where they're supposed to be. Well, it makes sense as to why um, um, later on in the movie, um, Mindy is considered one of the possible suspects. Yeah. Which a lot, like every time I see it with people, people are just like, "What? Why did you think that?" It's like, "Well, there are reasons." Like, we wouldn't want it to be her, but it's like I could understand why she would. And for me, like that was the first time I originally watched this. I picked up on that, and I was like, "Oh, okay then. Good to know. That's that's at least two ghost space that I got figured out." Mm. Well, you know. Then again, though, it could have been a like ghost face saying things that they've just heard in general not necessarily having to have heard uh, exactly that speech i mean they do however <laughs> so in the apartment lobby danny shows up sam wants to give herself up to ghost face to spare the rest of her friends but Tara says that ain't happening. They plan to use the theater as a kill box. Bailey encourages them to travel in public, and he'll reach out to Kirby. They take the subway with Mindy and Ethan getting separated from the rest. 
Both groups are in trains that are just full of people in ghost face masks as well as, you know, Easter eggs. Mindy keeps Ethan on the other side of the train. Sucks for her, though, when one of the ghost faces on her train does their best Weeping Angel impersonation and stabs her. The train stops, and Ethan notices helping her off the train. Medics find her. Um, so, well, with the theater, uh, initially in the first version of the script, it was not a theater. It was a warehouse, um, and they they changed that, um, again, through, like, kind of the collaborative process they had um, while trying to, like, kind of do the whole um, um, theatricality of it all and, like, tying it into past screen movies. And by having it be in a warehouse that you could have eventually something be projected on later, which ties it in even more to the identity of the killer. So it's uh, it's really neat. I do think that it was definitely a much better choice than a... Um, a warehouse would have been uh that is apparently a real working movie theater in montreal they just had to take out 90 percent of the seats <laughs> to do it um but yeah uh, when we get down into the subway stations however uh oh my gosh i have such a long list here um let's not forget so, the most important one Evil dies tonight. Evil dies tonight. Evil, Evil dies, dies tonight. tonight. Oh my God! Yes, that is my first one actually. So I'm very happy you uh, you saw that. Uh, did you hear it like the first time? Yeah, I know. It's like, oh God. Well, I know it's something I'm going to be hearing a rant about at some point in the future. Reference to. I. Love it. Yeah. I love it so much. So, so much. Uh, I didn't hear it for like the first two or three times. Um, but I, I laughed so hard and it was, I, it was wonderful. But, uh, yeah. So let's, let's look at here. Okay. Whew. All right. So again, taking out like public domain sorts of monsters and, vegetables and things of that nature these are non-public domain type uh characters and famous people so we've got ziggy sadardust like um uh the david bowie yes the the alter ego there um we've got michael myers We've got The Bride from Ready or Not. I cannot remember her name because it's been a while since I've seen that movie, but Samara Weaving. We've got Jason. We've got The Babadook. Huh. Isn't that funny because it was name-checked so much before. <laughs> the Tethered Family from Us. Mojo Jojo, which was a very exciting one because, of course... Um, that was, um, that's Roger L. Jackson's, like, other most famous character. Uh, you've got Georgie from It. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Shaun of the Dead. Regan slash Pazuzu. 
Patsy from Absolutely Fabulous, Andy Warhol, Handmaid's Tale people, Billy the Puppet, uh, Midsummer uh, May Queen, Tippy Hedren and the Birds, which when you say it like that sounds like a band name. <laughs> um, Maverick from Top Gun, Freddy Krueger, Pinhead, Columbia and Magenta from the Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, The Shining Girls that are not twins, but everybody thinks are, uh, Natalie Portman from Vox Lux, although actually that is a very similar outfit to a certain other Natalie Portman outfit in Attack of the Clones, so I don't know for sure if it was supposed to be that Natalie Portman or the other Natalie Portman. Um, there's also, okay, the the last two ones I have listed here, there are dra- two drag queens beside a bald man in big glasses, which I assume is RuPaul. And uh, the, the, <laughs> this one is either Crocodile Dundee or the cowboy from Jason Goes to Hell, and I have no idea which one. Why not both? Sure. But yeah, that's a lot of different characters there. Yeah, and they the costuming department, I mean... Probably. Well, and abso- absolutely, and like the fact that they were... Uh, trying to make sure that they didn't look too like a costumer did them as well is fabulous as as well. Now that there is also on the subway, there was a Mormon. I don't know if that was a real Mormon or someone who was trying to be like, Hey, I like musicals, but (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Oh, uh, and I didn't mention there was also someone dressed as Chucky. Um, yeah, it's the fact that they were able to pack all of those in there and they all look so good, but not like professional goods, just like, as they say, like good Halloween costumes. It, it's really neat. And I like the fact that they 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 didn't try to worry too much about um about the fact that like they don't own the rights to all those characters so they didn't try to like make something similar to this or something that was completely only public domain characters and things like pirate and banana again um it, the i do know with the uh they were worried for a while about that sort of stuff, but then they eventually got the okay. It was like, oh, it'll be fine if we don't use it in the marketing. But then the marketing was mainly that scene anyway. So I don't know who at Paramount was able to okay all of that, but I'm very glad that they did. Yeah, I... So, one of the things I did for this one is, like, I saw that original, like, teaser trailer, and then I went media blackout. Like, I... I muted the word scream i muted every single thing involving scream on like my twitter for like the entire time from that trailer coming out until the until about a day after the movie came out right because i didn't want to see anything i didn't want to see the discourse i just wanted to go into the film as blind as possible because i just felt like that would be fun to do and still though i mean this one 
one little scene I think really kind of works because it's also one of those scenes that if you're that they what they do for trailers all the time anymore is they just shoot scenes that are only meant for the trailer and that's what I thought okay this seems like the kind of scene that could have been in the fact that okay no it is actually a scene from the film I was just thought okay you know I don't mind that's still awesome mm-hmm. so for the subway um being in Montreal, um, they did. Ha- Montreal does have a subway system. However, it doesn't look anything like the New York one. So they created their own, and that like had to try to make it look exactly like the um, platforms would be. And they they apparently talked about having the New York subway send them an actual train car, but then they realized that would be logistically very, very uh, expensive and very, very heavy, so they couldn't really do that, so they had to make their own based on what they think the amount of like um, the schematics might be because they couldn't actually have the plans of the actual uh, trains themselves. And then the fact that since Radio Silence didn't want to uh, use like green screens and things like that, they had to like figure out a way for being able to turn, uh, like actually get this um, car to actually be able to pull in and out of the station. (laughs) And the the fact that the lighting crews had to uh, be the ones to, make it feel like it was moving via all of the lighting around them. It it was all very intricate, the way that they kind of recreated the subway system for that. I know, though, that um, uh, Josh, uh, who plays Danny in the film, in one of the interviews was saying, uh, you know that it's a set because there's no rats carrying pizza. (laughs) But... Yeah, so it it was like one of the cleanest New York subways you could uh, possibly see. Yeah, and honestly, like that kind of like commitment to just doing something practical is phenomenal. I was mm-hmm. and kind of vaguely off subject, but one of the things that I really appreciated this time was that the the, the, the any visual blood they had in the film was a lot less, you know, conspicuous compared to, um, compared to five. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what was digital blood and what wasn't as opposed to like five, where there was quite a few times where I was like, okay, yeah, that's not real. That is, <laughs> that's, well, I mean, not real, but you know what I mean? <laughs> that's corn syrup. That's not corn syrup. <laughs> Oh, you you mean that they they didn't really kill people in five? I mean, who knows? Like maybe they got better. <laughs> Jenna Ortega had a really bad week. Okay. <laughs> like, anytime she started to, anytime like her wounds started to heal, they were like, no, no, no. For realism, we got to open those back up. <laughs> oh, oh, poor lady. And I feel bad for Mindy because once again, it's like, oh God, she doesn't even get to make it to the finale. They, she just yeah, gets taken out just short of it. 
I mean, taking out. Like, she was walked out of the film, uh, but she she's not taken out, you know? That's what I meant to say. Like, <laughs> she is taken off the stage just before, like, the finale. Yes. This is the part where you come with me, to quote the detective from three. Kirby meets Sam and the rest at the theater. Sam sends Danny away because you're not Woodsboro. They go in and Ghost Billy encourages her to take his knife. Everyone disappears as Bailey calls Sam, who tells her Kirby was discharged from the FBI. On cue, Sam realizes they're locked in and a weird video starts playing from the projector. In the lobby, Tara and Chad flirt, then kiss, so of course Ghostface shows up, stabbing Tara. Chad fights him off and helps her escape with Sam. Tara points out an exit in the balcony, so they try to get up there, but Ghostface comes back. They nearly fight him off when Chad gets surprised by a second Ghostface. The two go to town on Chad with stabs, and he falls. <laughs> I didn't expect that phrasing. <laughs> Sorry. And the simple fact of the matter is, Chad, it, Chad has it's literally stupid himbo strength versus ghost face strength, and it takes two ghost face to take down one stupid himbo. I don't think he's a stupid himbo. I think he's a very bright himbo. Okay. Regardless, <laughs> though. Yes. You you were right with that. Um, yeah, uh, but the the double knife wipe is chef's kiss. Oh, yeah. Um, like the closest to having like two people in the ghost face mask on screen at the same time was like the brief part in the um intro of Scream Four. So actually getting to see it right. finally is just like oh god, I wasn't expecting that. That's cool. I feel bad for Chad, but it's still cool. Yes. Um, before we get too far away from it, uh, on the marquee of the of the movie theater, uh, it was mentioning the fact that, uh, assumedly, prior to it closing, uh, the theater, which must have closed very abruptly, it was playing Rocky Horror Picture Show twice a week and uh, was also playing a retrospective of Jennifer Jolie movies. Rest in peace, Jennifer Jolie. Now, I know that Radio Silence won't be doing seven, but people have asked Radio Silence, like, oh, if you do seven, who would you like to uh, bring back? It, Parker Posey was uh, said as one of the people. And Parker Posey has said, I'd love to do another one. I don't know if you can like, Kirby her way back into it, but... Okay, so I was going to say this for <laughs> talking for last. Like, oh. talking about what we were hoping for for Scream 7, but fuck it, this is as good a time as any. The idea that I, that me and a bunch of, like, um, people in my film in my film club came up with the idea we had is she has like, you know, a ton of scars and stuff from the attack and no amount of plastic surgery was able to like repair her face. So she just fell out of the business instead of, 
Like that the that's the idea we had. Right. And so like setting keeping up with what they've been doing of where, you know, each each one of the um requel reference the previous one, Scream Six would reference um Scream Three, but instead of it being, you know, necessarily in Hollywood, it taking place at like a fil- at a film convention. Oh. At a horror movie convention or something like that. And she and she's like one of the guests at it. Uh-huh. But the other idea we had going along with it is going back to something that has been talked about with Scream 3, which is, and is even vaguely referenced here for just a moment, the fact that Roman could not have done it by himself. <laughs> so yeah. they basically retcon that Roman betrayed her and decided to kill her because he wanted he wanted to be known as the only ghost face out of it. I don't think they'll really ever bring her back, but I would like for her to remain uh, a heroic. Heroic is a, is a large term for Jennifer Jolie, but you know what I mean. But yeah, the basic idea we had was that she is go- that she ends up being Ghostface in Scream Six, and she is mentoring somebody else as well. She's mentoring one or two other people also to be Ghostface. With the entire idea that this is gonna that the film they will make of this will be her big break when she plays herself in it. <laughs> but also the other idea we had is that she's mentoring two people to be Ghostface, but she's not. She hasn't told either of them about each other. Oh, that would be interesting. But that's that's getting off topic. Like that is what I would love to see. It will not be what I see, and I will I will still probably love what I see no matter what. And I would love <laughs> to see more Parker Posey. Yes. Well, always. Yeah. But yeah, no, I feel like the, it's once again we're in the movie theater, just like how Scream Two ends at a theater as well. There are so many parallels, and they're only going to get more parallel. Yes. <laughs> Parallelier? Yeah. So, back in the theater, the ghost faces have Sam and Tara cornered when Kirby shows up shooting at um shooting at them. She, she says she's not the killer. Bailey shows up and they have a Mexican standoff until a ghost face appears to be coming for him. So, she shoots. She goes she warns him and he takes advantage of it to shoot her. Another ghost face shows up next to Bailey in addition to number one. Number one unmasks, and it's Ethan. Turns out he's Bailey's son. Ghost face number two unmasks, and it's Quinn. She faked her death. And she is also the one who started the Sam is the Killer rumors. And after a bunch of back and forths, also turns out they're Richie's family. Okay, right. I need to, I'm going to vent. And then I will be done. Uh-oh. For the most part, I love Scream 6. I have one major quibble. Which is the Richie's family thing. And it, it's not I have a problem with them being Richie's family. What I have a problem with is, Jesus Christ, is their plan stupid. <laughs> First off, well, for, it's not just that it's stupid. It involves a whole bunch of other people also being stupid. It involves a freaking 
New York, New York City detective somehow being able to hide that he is related to somebody else, to an actual serial killer. They Do they have the same last name? No. Which they don't ever explain why they don't have the same last name, because we know that Richie didn't just decide to start calling himself Richie Kirsch to get in with Sam. We find out that like he has that in the video that they show as his last name. Now, could that have been right. state? Could that have been a stage name? Yes. So we have that. We have the fact that Mul Quinn was apparently, you know, vetted as far as you know all the information about her, and this doesn't come up. Gail doesn't. Nothing about Richie's family came up when she was doing research or any of the people on the internet. There's a lot of things that Google is really good at being able to invade your pers your personal life. Incredibly good. Like, scarily good. And the fact that Richie's entire family is somehow able to evade it this thoroughly. Like, and then, uh, I I'm trying not to be a negative Nelly here. Because this is still... I will get into my rankings in the series, and this one is high. <laughs> but you get Quinn. Quinn fakes her death earlier. Now, here's the thing: if this were if Quinn had faked her death the night before, then I think you know if they can do they can get away with it. Quinn faking her death and doing it at a time where she is legally declared dead, she never gets that restart her life again. Like, she is going to, ba basically, the entire family, after this is done, need, after they go and kill Kirby and Gale, Gale, they have to immediately go into hiding, and no matter what they think they're going to do with making everyone think that Sam did it again, eventually it's going to notice, hey, there are these three people that were involved in her life that all disappeared, there are these two people that just disappeared, and also, um, the coroner said that this girl's been dead for multiple longer than she's supposed to have been i once again it, it, this is me overthinking i will immediately say this is probably me overthinking and finding quibbles where there should there are no real quibbles but jesus christ the bailey family is so freaking stupid i assumed that um i mean i assumed that richie kirsch's name was correct from the from the get-go that the Bailey part were fake names and that he used his influence to get into systems that people in the public sector normally would not have been able to get to, to falsify other things <laughs> for the whole Sam Danley. Now, as far as where they would go from there into hiding probably yes but i think that they would eventually uh reemerge under new uh identities with kind of the debbie salt sort of um playbook but i don't know for sure i am not a criminal mastermind or a fictional character <laughs> fair enough and before anyone says anything Debbie Salt, this that was freaking nineteen. That was freaking nineteen ninety seven. You didn't have the internet, and 
it, she would have had a lot easier of a time getting away with it than they would have. There was still internet. It took like a half an hour to download a picture of Terry Hatcher, but there was still internet. There, yeah, there was still internet, but it also wasn't like you know the, what we have right now, where literally there you use your phone and at least twelve people know where you are. Regardless, though, I mean, I will definitely say. I also completely called that it was Richie's family, like, back when Quinn said the entire thing about her brother, and I was like, oh, her brother's Richie, isn't it? <laughs> Ethan was the one who took me by surprise. Well, the costuming for, um, for Richie, enough for Richie, for Ethan, uh, in, uh, Mindy's monologue, was a meant was apparently meant to invoke uh Billy with uh the Exorcist was on last night and it got me thinking the us scene. Because he is wearing a baby blue polo. And I briefly forgot that, you know like when the phone call happened and I briefly was thrown off because it's like, oh well Mindy's dead. Uh, maybe Bailey didn't like that didn't like how close she was. Oh, wait, no, there's that phone call. Yep, yep. Hmm. She was there for that conversation. She's alive. But no, like, the Ethan thing, like, honestly, like, the Ethan, Ethan saving Mindy's life? First off, I mean, I can see definitely why, because unlike everyone else, he seemed to have actually thought, well, I need, I'm gonna go back to college when this is over. And... Yeah, this gives me an alibi. Right, right, right. It's not his fault that Ghostface later on went to murder her in her hotel, in her hospital room. In her hospital room. Why did I say hotel room? <laughs> did you see um, Avatar two? I did not, but I know that he is like incredibly fucking jacked in it. Yeah, I, he's also got uh, white boy dreads. Yeah. Um. Like, to the point where I actually saw a picture of it, and I was like, those aren't the same people. <laughs> Why are you trying to trick me? Well, I mean, they did film that, like, five years ago. Which is even more amazing, because the kid is 18. Yeah. Like, he turned 18 while this was being made, and it's like... Maybe maybe five years is too much. I, I Like, like I, I know it's been a while. Terrible. So, like, it's like, what growth hormones did they have you on for making this movie? I don't know. But, yeah. Um, I preferred the sequel to the second one, or to the first one, rather. Um, and he looks like he's going to be a big part of future installments of the Blue People Saga. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll see it eventually, but uh, I'm, not, I'm in no rush. Yeah. It is funny, though, that he said, uh, like, in interviews for this film, that it's like, uh, yeah, this is definitely my favorite experience ever on a film. Sorry, James Cameron. I mean, if I ha I've heard of, I've heard enough horror stories about working with James Cameron to know that, <laughs> like, you know, you just kid, you deserve to have a vacation. Well, I've I've had uh, an acting teacher who was uh, one of the scientists in, in Titanic in like the um, uh, the modern day scenes. Uh, just kind of like an extra, and he was so worried that um, Jim Cameron was going to like 
chew him the fuck out and fire him and all sorts of things uh, because he was supposed to be like, oh, looking at something very intensely uh, over top of uh, this water tank. And then he dropped whatever he was supposed to be looking at in the tank. And he was thought like, oh, no, I'm going to be in trouble. And then, of course, like camera didn't even notice and they didn't uh, they didn't use that take anyway. And they kept going onto another thing but it was just the the fact that like even like the plebs like the the people who don't have a line in the picture uh are so worried about cameras <laughs> it's kind of funny so bailey the corrupt cop helped richie make the collection and they plan to kill gail and mindy at the hospital after all is said and done so Sam the Sam pulls something from Blah. So Sam deciding, you know, what the fuck ever, and decides to insult Richie because, you know, she knows how to push people's buttons. Bailey and family have trouble with that, which gives Sam the opportunity to attack Quinn, which gives Kirby the opportunity to shoot. Ethan sta- Ethan stabs her, but Sam hits him and gets his knife. Sam um, stabs him a few times and grabs Kirby's gun. They get up to the balcony. Tara loses her footing. Sam holds onto her. Ethan under them. Quinn approaching from the side. So Sam, at Tara's urging, gives her the knife and lets go. Ethan stabs Tara in the stomach, so she stabs him in the mouth. Quinn gets distracted, and Sam stabs her and shoots her in the forehead. Kill count 11. Bailey shows up as she falls to the ground. Sam's out of bullets and wrestles Father of the Year off the balcony. So during Dermot Mulroney's whole villain speech, um, these these are more things that are um, like found in this mythical gag reel that, again, I don't understand where people are finding these clips. But um, (laughs) so I guess that... I'm sure that Dermot Mulroney had his own script, but it seems very much like he was uh, improving when he was trying to go fucking insane for some of them. Uh, the moments that I have listed here that were uh, filmed but not used in the film uh, were the fact that uh, he, uh, when he says, there's a very special bond between a father and his firstborn son. Um, after he said that, at one point he said, sorry, Ethan. <laughs> um, there was one uh, take where he complained about villain unmaskings in uh, Stab movies because, uh, well, I mean, what is that? that's no way to end a movie if there's supposed to be a murder mystery and the a villain comes out and just tells you who they are the, the hero never finds out who they did who actually did it um uh he he also mentions like oh richie loved these little movies you know what movie i like hamilton but he loved these <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, okay, I've got two more here. Um, he was was like, so I helped him make this collection. (laughs) Uh, even though the shipping on this evidence was out of control. 
Uh, and then he also mentions uh, the fact that it was like, oh, everybody's a director nowadays. Oh, I'm, I'm a director. You're a director. Let's direct together. Let's co-direct. Let's put it on Vine. Is Vine even still a thing anymore? <laughs> and it's just like, I, it's hilarious, but it's also insane in totally different ways. And yeah. <laughs> There's still a lot of lines that get left in that are like, huh. Like the fact that he calls um, Richie a strong, virile young man. <laughs> like, yes. Uh, he he couldn't possibly be a, a limp-dicked little... Uh, what did she say? I think it was just a limp-dicked little pussy or something along those lines. I don't think it was pussy, but oh well. Yeah. But, you know, good on Sam for pointing out that Amber did everything in Woodsboro 3.0 because Amber literally did everything in Woodsboro 3.0. Mm-hmm. Like, get, uh, literally, okay, your son, you know, the sociopathic murderer, yes, he he didn't do as much as you want to say he did. There's no reason to leave his girlfriend out of, you know, the, out of the DNA evidence. I'm just saying. Well, the... She was probably underage. She was underage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so was Jill. But, like, the fact that, like, he was dating an underage girl. Probably different than, like, oh, yeah, this other uh, girl who tried to kill her cousin. Yeah, she could be underage, but not, not the one that my son was fucking. Family and family are like completely like Sam. You're a murderer. It's in your blood. Your grandmother was a murderer. Your father was a murderer. You're a murderer. And it's like, but you guys are also kind of guilty of that. <laughs> Just the only your difference. Your puppy was a murderer. Only difference is you know, you're mad over the fact that your serial killer son got got one up by a freaking woman. You're just just say that you're a bunch of misogynistic pricks and get over it. Well, yes, but that it's I think that it's more to do with the fact that it's like, oh yeah, he could kill other people, but you couldn't possibly kill our boy, especially to the extent that you killed him the the several several um twenty something stabs and the slit throat and the shots. <laughs> And, you know, good on, good on Richie's mom, wherever she is, because she was just like, she probably, she took the Billy's dad approach of, listen, my son's a sociopathic murderer. I'm not having anything to do with this. I'm not going to turn you in or anything, but yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm outie. I assumed that she would have already been dead. Yeah. As it turns out, like, between Scream um, 6 or 7, like, Sam and them go and kill her. Because, you know, you, get, you have to, just in case. Gotta be sure. <laughs> you gotta nuke her from orbit, just in case. Hello, Mrs. Kirsch and or Bailey? Yes? Boom! <laughs> Jesus Christ, all the... Everyone have You have a serial killer gene. You have a serial killer gene. <laughs> now I'm just picturing, like, Gene from Bob's Burgers, like, with a little knife. 
but yeah, no, it's like you know, this is I really enjoy I really enjoy the finale, this part of the finale, definitely. Like just okay. Everyone the entire Bailey family is a bunch of, you know bastards, and you know what? I'm glad that the Carpenter sisters get to carve them up. Yes. Like seriously, the between that between Quinn getting hit by the brick and literally you seeing the teeth on the ground next to her. Little chicklets. Yeah, or like Ethan getting the freaking knife in the mouth. Holy shit. <laughs> It is just a, it is a good finale, and I'm glad that you know we had like the running theme of the entire movie of Sam of Tara asking Sam to let her go, and the fact that it finally comes together in this way in this way is just like perfect. Um, with the the fact that um, it ends there with. Uh the carpenters kind of sitting on the steps uh that was apparently supposed to have been a reference to uh the ending of ready or not well with no one blowing up <laughs> this, this is true plus like there's a little bit more after um after the carpenters sit on the those steps than there is in ready or not but even still so Bailey comes to Sam calls him in the ghost face voice. He goes on stage and finds Billy's costume missing. He thinks he can still get away with it. Sam in full ghost face garb surprises him, stabbing him 31 freaking times. Tara stops her from finishing him off at first, but then Tara gives him an approval, gives her a approval nod. So she stabs him right in the eye. Red right hand plays as they process on the stage. Then Ethan charges them until Kirby pushes Stu's TV on his head, kill count 13. Danny shows up with the cops and paramedics outside. Chad's not dead. Mindy arrives. Sam still has Billy's mask, but she leaves it on the ground. So as she walks off with Tara and Danny, credits. Still alive, please, by Danny Lovato. Now, I thought when every time I had seen the movie, I had thought I counted 14 kills. So I think there might have been one more bodega corpse than I than you counted that I was counting or possibly just some other rando. But I don't know for sure. And I don't want to go and try to recount. That'll take a few more hours. So let's just say 13. <laughs> I, I mean, there definitely could have been an extra person in the bodega. I counted three people in the bodega. But I know also one of them was just basically a blink and you miss it then. So. Right. I don't know. I could be wrong either way. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, well, we do have one more scene to talk about. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, after the credits, Mindy points out that you don't need an after credit scene. Yeah! <laughs> Sorry. I almost forgot about that. No problem. So, what did you think of the film? 
I mean, okay, well, just a couple things about the scene itself. Like, there's a bunch of... The little head nod of really when, you know... When Sam is about to let Bailey live. Mm, yeah. I, lo- I love that. But you did fuck with our family. <laughs> then you have literally... um. You have Ethan getting killed by Stu's TV. Like that one TV has a, has killed more people than um Jason and Greg got to. <laughs> and then like at the end where like Mindy figured out two out of the three of the kills. Good on Mindy. I'm on a lot of drugs right away. I can't feel anything below my oh, what was it? Below my neck? Something below like that. Below my arms. Ah uh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. Oh, and of course, uh, Chad being the new Dewey. Yeah. Like, literally, it's just going to be every movie. Chad gets, you know, even more fucked up and, you know, lives through it. And I'm so, I'm just so happy for him. Like, I was honestly sure that Chad was dead and I was like, okay. Well, I mean... And all the core four becoming the becoming the new trio. I can live. With. Okay, cool. Core four. <laughs> core four, indeed. And I like the little detail that Sam is stabbing around the bulletproof the Kevlar vest that Bailey is wearing. Yeah. Like she's not wasting any stabs on the on it. Like it took me a couple watch. It took me my second watch to realize that's why she was just stabbing his arms a lot. Scream Six is a really good Scream film, honestly. Yeah. Like it has like some of the best like set pieces and kills of the series. Despite my complaints about you know the about you know how the killers are going to actually, how they thought they were actually going to get away with it. Like, honestly, when you get down to it, every single ghost face has the exact same problem of how were you going to get away with this, really? <laughs> so, I mean, honestly, just what, just the Bailey family being just as stupid as freaking Mickey and, well, Mickey wanted to, didn't want to get away with it. Okay, as Billy and Stu... It's still like, you know, it is still a very solid film. I mean, honestly, like, I have watched it uh, multiple times, and every time I score on Letterboxd, sometimes it's five, sometimes it's four and a half, and I don't, and usually given the time of day, I, or the viewing, I will change it again. Hmm. Like, I'm probably going to watch it again, like, sometime in this next month, and I will be surprised if I don't if it, I'll be surprised if it stays at four and a half and it doesn't change back to five at that point because I'm not having to watch it two times in like the span of a day and being critical. <laughs> well, I have seen it two times in the span of a day without being critical before, but that's um, that that was earlier in in the film's uh, release schedule <laughs> or lifespan i suppose um because that was when it first came out but uh yeah it's definitely five for me yeah it is it is my uh my third favorite stream i will say my current rankings are because 
R2, and here's where things get controversial, then it is one tied with six. Oh. And then... And then five, four, three. For me, it's one, four, six, five, two, three. Because, I mean, honestly, like, it's... Everyone is just doing such a good job. Like, we have... Everyone is just kind of acting their hearts out. It works so well, and I am going to be... I honestly, like, as much as Dewey dying in five, um, like, wrecked me, if any of these four die in seven, and if I'm being honest, one of them needs to die in seven. Because otherwise, it's even worse than, you know, when Gale, Gale Dewey and... Sid kept on living through everything. Mm-hmm. I, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be just absolutely freaking devastated. Like even right. Sam, who I said, if she died in this one, like going into this one, I said, if Sam dies, I will be sad, but I won't, but it'll be for the good of the series. I will be absolutely devastated if either of the Carpenter sisters die. Mindy or Chad, I can. I'll be sad, but I will live with, but at the same time, I would rather it didn't happen. I mean, it's it's always tough with these things, because you don't want anybody to die because you like everybody, uh, but they have to because horror pictures, yeah. Also, I did forget to mention it. Um, as of like when we were recording, there's also a little bit of a rumor going around that there is potentially a um, Scream video game coming out that is being made by the same people, um, being made by Supermassive Games, who um, made um, Until Dawn or like the. A bunch of those games where it's basically just you're playing through a horror movie with decision-based um, gameplay and story-driven plot. Now, this is just rumor at this point and could go anywhere, so if it happens, I will be completely excited, but at the same time... Well, I just missed the Scream 4 iPhone game. Yeah. And who knows... If that does come out, maybe that's what we talk about next year, because I will be, if Scream 7 somehow comes out between now and then, I will be incredibly freaking surprised. <laughs> I'm thinking that's probably a 2025 film. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. But we'll have to figure something out at some point. Yeah, who knows, maybe we'll talk about the talk about season one of Scream the TV series. Maybe we'll talk about Urban Legend. Maybe we'll talk about um, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Who knows? Regardless, you guys have a year to look forward to it. Yeah! Okay, and I think we set our scores earlier. I think we're both going... I will, since I round up usually, I'll go with a five. As am I. But not rounding up. I'm just doing it in general. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
baby that killed Stumacher. If you believe he's dead. I hear you're a horror fan. It's been said. Mm. Best Nightmare on Elm Street. The, the original. original. Best Friday the 13th. Part Final 2. chapter. I had a crush on Corey Feldman. Okay, respect. <laughs> Psycho 2 is underrated. Candyman. The original or equal? Both. Both. Okay. Okay. Game recognized game. Our email address is the show at earth2.net. That's the show at earth the number two.net. Our voicemail line is 513 Earth 20. That's 513 327 8420. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, we're at Earth underscore 2. That's Earth underscore the number 2. Please visit the website www.earth2.net. That's www.earth-2.net. While you're there, on the left-hand side of the page, you'll see a link that says Forums. Click it and join the forums, please. If you enjoy what we're doing and would like to support Earth2.net and Earth2.net this show, there are several things you can do. First, make sure to tell your friends about Earth2.net and all of our podcasts. Second, go to iTunes to leave us positive feedback. Third, you can become a patron of the show by visiting patreon.com slash earth underscore two. That's patreon.com slash earth underscore the number two. And lastly, donations in any denomination can be made by heading over to paypal.me slash earth two. That's paypal.me slash earth the number two. There are no spaces, dashes, or underscores. Just earth and the number two. Until next time, good night. (laughs) 